The home of New York sports is WFAN, 1019 FM, and the Odyssey app. Sports Radio, 1019 FM, the band, WFAN. Good evening, New York sports fans. I am Danielle McCartan. Danielle in the daytime, or perhaps... It's Danielle at dinner time. I just ate my rigatoni, not my first choice, pesto with some fresh mozzarella here in the studio. What's on your dinner table tonight? I'll be talking all things New York sports with you until well past dessert time, 10 p.m. tonight. Manuel and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio here in lower Manhattan. And we are working on a weekend like usual. And again, a warm welcome to my normal overnight listeners. I see you guys and the brand new sets of ears that are tuned in right now. You guys know the number. It's already pre-programmed into your phones. 877-337-6666. And as always, let's load them up with your best content only. We're also going to get a live call in from the Paul Dottino, who's been on the Giants beat since 1983. That Giants fans is coming your way live at 920 p.m. Giants fans, that will be a must not miss segment. I promise you. Now she's got me twisted like an old beach roller coaster. So as summer is coming to an end, like Luke Bryan says, the Yankees have their fans twisted again like an old beach roller coaster, which we talked about this team being on that roller coaster since February. Yankees fans, you knew what to expect. The Yankees entered Saturday having won five of their last seven games. And the Indians entered Saturday on the other end of the spectrum, having lost eight of their last 11. The Indians, who, even with this victory, are two games under 500. Well, they defeated the Yankees by a touchdown and a two-point conversion, 11-3 to at the stadium. That's baseball, Susan. It was a sleepy game for the Yankees with not much offensive action from the team at all. Sure, there were the John Carlos Stanton and the Luke Voigt home runs, but the game was completely over by then. The pitching completely failed the Yankees, and you need to look no farther than the fifth inning to see it. To this point, I indicated in my notes, Luis Hill was having a very stressful outing. The Indians had put up seven runs in the top of the fifth inning, not all attributed to him, but here's how. First, Gary Sanchez could not make a play on a pop-up directly above the plate. Boone, after the game, said, this is a quote, he just missed it. Catchers are usually prepared for that. Yeah, you got to make that play. Finally, finally, Aaron Boone is calling out Gary Sanchez. The Yes Network broadcast said in the moment that the sun was a factor. Uh, okay. I mean, Mercado was literally walking back to the dugout because he thought he was going to be out. Nope. Not when El Gary is involved. Everything is an adventure with El Gary Sanchez behind the plate. Heel then plunked Mercado, and then Heel walked Jose Ramirez and was replaced by Abreu from the bullpen. Okay, now Abreu's into pitch. That runner, Mercado, the one who should have been out on the pop-up to Gary Sanchez, ended up scoring on an RBI double from Reyes. Those guys always score. Then Abreu hit Harold Ramirez to load the bases with one out, and then the Indians were off to the races. Chang hit a two-run double to make it 4-0, Miller grounded up the middle and found it through the hole there to make it 5-0 Cleveland. Those always seem to fall through at that point. 
I wrote in my notes, ugly, in capital letters, in case you were wondering. I wrote, let's see if this team has the resiliency to come back from this deficit to a less than 500 team. Well, that thought was short-lived. Their number nine hitter, the Indians' number nine hitter in the order, and the number nine hitter in the inning for the Indians, Jimenez, with runners on first and third, jacked a home run 384 feet over Judge's head in Ryfield. Eight nothing Cleveland. And then my next note to myself was, boom, game over here probably. Yep, that was it. Done deal. Game over in the fifth inning. Could have gone home. Besides that, there were two things that I was looking for going into Saturday's game. One was Joey Gallo's surge, but he left the game in the fifth inning with neck tightness. And after the game, Boone said, there's a quote, we'll see. He got some treatment on it last night and tried to work through it all morning. After his first at-bat, it was just barking too much at him. We'll see where we're at for tomorrow. And then Meredith Markowitz asked if he was going to be uh, sent for more tests, and, and Boone said, in effect, no. Did you know that six of Gallo's home runs as a Yankee have either tied the game or given them the lead? Joey Gallo has been a completely different hitter down in the order. Is that a surprise to you? Well, if you tune into my show, you should not be surprised. On the Yes Network broadcast, Michael K. confirmed what I've been saying. He said that he talked to people in Texas, and Joey Gallo, this is a quote from Michael K., just doesn't like hitting towards the top of the order. Well, well, well. Doesn't that sound familiar? On September 8th, I quote tweeted the Yankees lineup, and I wrote on Twitter, you can look, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, I wrote, Gallo 6th, where I said on my show that I wanted him this weekend. Menomale. Menomale in Italian sort of means kind of like, thank you. In the stretch between September 8th and yesterday, I did not factor in today's injury-shortened outing, but between September 8th and yesterday, which happens to be between the suggestion I made and the Michael K confirmation as the exact reason why I made it was confirmed, Joey Gallo's hitting 333 with a slugging percentage of 1,000 with six home runs and seven RBIs. Coincidence? I think not. Gallo said Friday night that he had a video study of his at-bats, and he realized that he, and this is a quote from him, he was flailing a little bit. I didn't have much strength. I wasn't in my legs as much. Being a big guy, you can create a lot of power and torque from being in my legs. I knew at some point I knew I'd get it going. But a credit to our hitting coaches, they helped me a lot. The other thing I was looking for was Luis Heal's performance. I mean, I was there in the press box for his first start. When he came up, he started with 18 scoreless innings, and he was the best thing since sliced bread. Pretty good, if you ask me. But more specifically, what I was trying to figure out today was, is he postseason ready? Mostly because of the comments he made this week. And Heal, through an interpreter, said... You know, I'm putting a lot of heart into this, and I'm just trying to win every single game I pitch. And hopefully, I make the playoff roster. Aaron Boone said, You could see at times he's definitely not a finished product, but you could also see why we're so excited about him. Well, Heel's final stat line from today wasn't good. Four and one-thirds innings pitched. Not what you're looking for from a potential postseason starter. Four walks, including one hit by pitch. Not what you're looking for from a potential postseason starter. And three runs, two of which were earned, with this offense that can sputter at times, like today. And that's not what you want to see from a potential postseason starter. On my objective number two, I feel like it was not met. 
I'm sure that he'll in a postseason starters role, should the Yankees get there, of course, I'm not sure about it. I'd be willing to study him a little more just to see if this game was kind of like a data outlier. But Abreu and Haney were real disasters today. But is anyone surprised, though? Yeah, I really want to know who this is. I want you to close your eyes right now. Not if you're driving, of course, but close your eyes and listen to this stat line and tell me who are you, really, or me or your radio. Tell somebody. Which week one quarterback had the following stat line? Who does this belong to? Quarterback, this is. 34 for 46, which is a 74% completion percentage. 336 yards in the air. Two touchdowns, one interception, and a rating of 99.6. Who are you? No, that is not the final stat line of Tom Brady, nor Patrick Mahomes, nor Aaron Rodgers. It is, in fact, the final stat line that the New York Giants allowed to Taylor Heineke, who was just making his second NFL start after three full seasons in the NFL. I mean... I actually have the same question for the Giants defense. Who are you? For a Giants defense stacked with names and coverage like Jabril Peppers, Adoree Jackson, and James Bradbury, who's coming off a Pro Bowl season, can someone tell me why defensive coordinator Patrick Graham is insistent upon providing soft prevent-like coverage? What in the world are they preventing for the duration of the entire game? Washington allowed only one sack on Heineke. One! Where was the pressure from the New York Giants? I remember wondering aloud with you guys here on this show how rookie Mac Jones was able to complete 88% of his passes in a joint practice scrimmage with the Giants. I now know how. Heineke, again, completed 74% of his passes. This isn't it. This is not the formula to success and fix it now. And what about the number of points that the Giants left on the scoreboard? Remember, they only lost by one point, 30 to 29. Settling for field goals isn't it either. Good thing that Dave Gettleman locked up Graham Gano long term. He was the superstar in week two. In fact, he accounted for 17 of the Giants' points. 17 of their 29 points came on the leg of Graham Gano. And the Giants left exactly eight points, directly eight points off, off the scoreboard. First time was a, a Daniel Jones 58-yard touchdown run that was, boom, nullified by an offensive holding call on C.J. Board. The call was totally questionable at best, and at the time, I tweeted something along the lines of, that's it, bench board for the rest of the game. Well, clearly, sarcasm does not translate on Twitter. So I'll do my best to stay away from that from moving forward. Anyway, it ended up as a 23-yard field goal instead of the touchdown by Daniel Jones. That was four points left off the scoreboard right there. I'm being generous, assuming that the extra point was going to be made. And then the second time the Giants left a significant amount of points on the board was... With 6.18 remaining in the game, Darius Slayton dropped a touchdown in the end zone that literally the ball hit him in the hands. That was a touchdown right then and there that essentially could have 
put the game away. There was blown coverage all around him, and there wasn't a single defender within, I would say, maybe 20 yards of him. After that mishap, Barkley ran and went nowhere, and there were two false starts by Solder and Thomas, which were the third and fourth false starts by an offensive lineman that night. At the time, I wrote down a big drop and back-to-back false starts. Come on, man. Gano luckily cleaned up the mess with a 55-yarder, his 34th straight, and he made it 26-20 to Giants. Four points left off the scoreboard right there. So add it up. In just these two instances alone, there were at least eight points directly left off the scoreboard for the Giants, and they lost by one. And how about this? For a team and for a coach whose whole entire identity is predicated on discipline, how does one explain the fact that the Giants committed 11 penalties? 11! None more crucial than the Dexter Lawrence offsides call to allow the Washington football team to kick another field goal to end the game after the first one was already missed. Now, I watched that, air quotes here, penalty in slow motion and in game speed. There was no chance that Dexter Lawrence was in the wrong. He actually had a time perfectly, if you watch it really carefully. The ball moved, and he moved almost simultaneously. The referees totally botched that call. But as I just outlined, this game should not have been that close. Yeah. Uh-oh. The Jets are at an uh-oh moment that I'm not sure that they can calm down from. Sorry, Taylor Swift. Elijah Vera Tucker and Mekhi Becton have taken to calling themselves the Smash Brothers. I mean, it's a fitting nickname for them when they're both on the field together. I'm not sure which guy is Mario and which guy is Luigi, but the Jets will be without one of them, Mekhi Becton, for at minimum four to eight weeks. That's a really wide range for me, and I'm not a doctor, but Becton is scheduled to undergo knee surgery on Wednesday to rectify a dislocated right kneecap, which, all right, so let's look at the schedule. You add up four to eight weeks. It puts his return anywhere between week six, which the Jets have a bye, which is good, and week 10 versus the Bills. Honestly, I think, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I think that the team would be lucky to get him back by that Bills game. That is a huge blow for the Jets, their offense, and their rookie quarterback. I mean, it cannot be understated. The Jets list Mekhi Becton at 363 pounds officially. So I was kind of just curious earlier this afternoon, and I Googled weight of a baby elephant. Here's what came up from SeaWorld.org. A newborn male African elephant may weigh up to 364 pounds. The Jets will literally be playing without a baby elephant protecting the blind side of their rookie quarterback, just set to make his second NFL start tomorrow. I guess the good news, if there's any, is that Kyle Van Noy has also been ruled out of Sunday's game with a throat issue. What am I looking for for the Jets in Week 2? Well, one, the offensive line's play. It was atrocious in Week 1. Zach Wilson was sacked six times in the loss to the Panthers, which was tied for the most in the NFL in Week 1. Don't Google it. I've got it for you. The guy he was tied with for most sacks in the league 
or having taken most sacks in the league in week one, Ryan Tannehill. I mean, same old story, isn't it? I'm sure Sam Darnold was having flashbacks on the Panthers' sideline of running for his own life in that same green uniform that Zach Wilson was wearing. Wilson will suffer the same fate as Darnold if the offensive line does not pick it up and fast. Like, tomorrow? I saw a couple lines from Robert Sala on Friday that concerned me a little bit. He said, I remember asking offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur, I wonder what's going to happen when he gets hit the first time. Speaking of Wilson, this is. Do you think he's going to fumble? Well, just, this is me now, just two plays into the game, Wilson was dropped by a defender and that was literally untouched. Salah said of it, I was like, oh, God, with a laugh. See, that's the part that bothers me. It isn't funny. I mean, I could see if this happens once in a blue moon, but this kid is going to struggle every single week with this pitiful offensive line. Is Salah going to laugh every single time that it happens? And what else I'm looking for tomorrow is the Jets' defensive pressure. The Dolphins dialed up the pressure 47.5% of Mac Jones's dropbacks. And that consistency worked for them. I mean, he still threw for 281 yards and a touchdown, but it worked in the sense that the Dolphins were somehow able to come away with a victory. And don't forget Bill Belichick's Patriots record against rookie quarterbacks. Since the year 2000, when I was in the sixth grade, the Patriots are 20-6 and six against rookie quarterbacks. Hmm. I'll have my Jets-Patriots prediction coming up soon. And, of course, I welcome yours, too. Riding down the highway when the fact was slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. Yep, this is the New York Mets. They are slip sliding away. That's Simon and Garfunkel. Well, the Mets have played in the most one-run games in all of baseball this season, and Friday night was no exception. After getting swept at home by the then postseason bubble team St. Louis Cardinals, Friday night was a must-win game for the Mets. And a long story short, they didn't win. They now have lost the Mets 14 of their last 16 games decided by one run. Actually, the Phillies are the only team in the NL East with a winning record in one-run games. So that, a declaration on the division. It was a long, slow death for the Mets with a few glimmers of hope, but it's not like they didn't have a real chance. To the bottom of the fourth we go. Nimmo singled, Lindor struck out then, and then Alonzo and Conforto both drew walks. There were three bases loaded, not one, not two, three bases loaded opportunities for the Mets to really kick in the door against Zach Wheeler. The first for Baez, who, by the way, has been hitting better since September 8th, His chase rate has gone down about 15%, and his OPS has almost doubled as a result. I wrote down, this is a great opportunity. Baez ended up singling Nimmo home, which ended the 25-inning scoreless streak for Wheeler. Crazy. And the Mets and the Phillies were locked up at 1-1. And unfortunately, a common theme for the Mets this entire season, that's all they were able to muster. With the bases still loaded, Jeff McNeil worked the count full before flying out to shallow center field. Alonzo was unable to tag up and score. And I noted during that at bat, Wheeler looked like he was unraveling, having just thrown, it was a 2-2 pitch to McNeil, and it almost ended up at the backstop. 
with the bases loaded and two out for McCann now. He lined out softly to Didi Gregorius. I wrote at the time, just one there isn't going to be enough. Wow, missed a big inning. And that was basically that. Taiwan Walker, after the game, expressed his disdain about being pulled after five innings, which is what I'm sure the computers told Luis Rojas to do. He said, I don't make the call. That's on them, and it is what it is. I feel like they should have given me a chance to go back out there for the sixth. But they didn't. And then Loop, who is the Mets' best reliever, arguably, was brought in to pitch just one measly inning. That was what the computer said to do, I'm sure. But good for Loop. It was an inning where he did not give up a single hit. And call him Captain Optimism. But after the game, Brandon Nimmo said, we're not mathematically out. Crazy things have happened in the past, and they made movies about it. It can happen. I mean... He isn't wrong. So the Mets will try again in just about, let's see, uh, maybe about 45 minutes from now as Aaron Nola and his 4.58 ERA take the hill for the Phillies and Carlos Carrasco and his 5.59 ERA do so for the Mets. So let's get it going. I've set the table for you guys. It is dinner time here in New York. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan in New York City. Welcome back to Danielle in the daytime, Danielle at dinnertime, whatever you want to call it. I'm here till 10 p.m. C-Mac, Chris McMonagle comes your way then, everybody. Listen, now, maybe you guys know, maybe you don't know, but, but during the week, I'm a teacher. And this week in particular was a little bit different for me. I went on an overnight field trip into the wilderness. (laughs) Yeah, I was mostly completely cut off from the internet and all cell phone service on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, So if you messaged me or something and I didn't get back to you yet, I will. I promise. It's just been a little bit crazy. But many people can do it. Go into the wilderness, cut themselves off from civilization. I learned that I absolutely cannot. Many people like it. I learned that I absolutely do not. And yet, I also learned that I am not an outdoorsy person. But from a sort of sports-ish angle, there was lots of hiking, lots of walking involved. And from what my Apple Watch tracked in just those really two and a half days, because we came home on on Wednesday, steps 51,434 in two and a half days, which equals 22.2 miles and the equivalent of 78 flights climbed. That's a lot. I now know why people with flat feet are not allowed to join the military. That's me. I have flat feet. And I had a backpack on. It was just, it was a lot. But anyway, it was an extremely well-run trip, extremely organized, and the kids were mostly good. I'd maybe give it one more try if they really needed me to. It was just hard for me to keep up with some of the stuff around here, especially through midweek, through Wednesday, you know? So I did the best I could to catch up on it all, to catch up on you guys. And uh, please, grant me a reprieve because I was totally, totally and completely cut off. Did not like it. I was trying. I got like a little Wi-Fi in the cafeteria for breakfast and stuff. I was like, oh, what was the score last night's game? And the kids are like, oh, can I use your phone? Like, no, leave me alone. Nope. This is my time. I actually watched Mets highlights of the one that they lost in extra innings, you know. I got like two minutes and 48 seconds to watch the highlights to myself. I was like, don't bother me. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, if they needed me to do it again, I, I might. By the way, this is not an ad off Deep Woods because I get eaten alive off Deep Woods. It's where it's at. I didn't get one single bug bite, not one. And I was layering it on, but still, that's good. All right, to the phones we go. 877-337-6666 is the number. Justin in Deer Park, New York, you are our leadoff tonight. Hey, Daniel, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I was at that net game on Tuesday. I sat through it. Still not happy with Lindor. All you needed was a fly ball to win the game. And that's it, huh? Yep. Didn't happen, I assume. Yep. <laughs> All right, my main point. I'm a, all right. My Giants point last week, I was wrong. I had well, of course, the new year you're going to be optimistic, mm-hmm. which I which I was. Mm-hmm. I say they may. I don't think it's going to be the offensive line looks a bit looks somewhat better from what I see. A little bit, it did a little bit better. Yes, defense is the issue right now. Yeah, that's the if they look good coming out of the gates. Giants in the last two games, but defense just couldn't hold it up. Yeah, no, I know. And you would think that, and Justin, thanks for the call there. You would think that, a, a, like I said in the open, a defense that is really stacked, which has the expectations of being one of the top defenses in the league, like I would say at least top 25% in the league. I don't think that's being too crazy, right? I mean, this whole soft coverage, it's maddening. It's frustrating. Because that's exactly what, I guess, Mac Jones did in that practice and exactly what um, what Washington did, what, what Taylor Heineke did to the Giants. Took what the defense gave him, and they ended up winning the game. I mean, that stat line that I read off at the in the open was like, not of Tom Brady, not of Aaron Rodgers. It's freaking Taylor Heineke. I mean, come on. I think the Giants, It's that something's got to change. I mean, Patrick Graham, who had the Giants playing great defense most, if not all, of last season, has completely changed the, the complexion of this defense. Besides the fact that, no, we're talking about the secondary, they can't get any pressure on the quarterback. One sack of Taylor Heineke. That was it, just one. Meanwhile, Jones was sacked four times. Michael in Lake Mary, you're up on the fan. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Great, how are you? All right, good. So you're a doctor this week, as, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but, I am um, uh, psychologist McCartan in for duty, reporting for duty, yes. There you go. So two, two points about the Giants here, and the first one is uh, just a little piggybacking about what was said in the monologue, what you said about this defense. Mm-hmm. My goodness, can we be any softer in zone coverage? Horrible. And- Where's the blitz packages? I, I, I think there were, I counted maybe two times they had a blitz package. And once was when Olajari had the sack. Mm-hmm. So how about we change it up a little bit? You know, you give me this kid too much time to throw. And where's Leonard Williams? He's been a no-show for the first two games yeah. as far as defense. Today. Yeah, and you know, but, they, they, they put up this graphic before the game, right? And they compared mm-hmm. Leonard Williams and Aaron Donald and, and, and three categories. Sacks. Mm-hmm. What, uh, Leonard Williams has 11.5. This is last year. Donald, 13.5. 13.5. Quarterback hits. Leonard Williams had two more than Donald last year, and tackles for loss were exactly the same. Now, I'm expecting Leonard Williams to come out there and be dominant. I haven't mm. seen him. Have you? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I saw that stat, too. And I, I, that was crazy. That was just, wow. Um, it's unbelievable point, is what it was. Right. The, the other point was, Right after getting that pick with two minutes, a little over two minutes left on the wrong side of the two-minute warning, way too conservative to me yes. on the play calling. I mean, 
either go for the touchdown, where's your tight ends, why aren't you trying to make a first down? You're just giving two give-up draws inside, and you yep. wind up picking the field goal anyway, and you leave the defense out to dry. So uh, I, I just I, it was mind-boggling, just mind-boggling with the conservatives. I felt maybe the, the only point I was thinking of was Jones had a pretty good game, and they didn't want to have something bad happen to his psyche at the end of the game, so they didn't give him a chance to do that. To me, that's playing scared. That's crazy. You know what, Michael? That's a great point. That's not playing to win the game. I feel like Jason Garrett was not playing to win the game, Jason Garrett and the Giants collectively, because, you know, ultimately, I mean, I know Jason Garrett is a play caller, right? But ultimately, you know, Judge has a say. He is the CEO of the team. He told you on day one. The Giants were playing that Thursday night football game, which was just, what, two nights ago. They were playing that game not to lose. They weren't playing to win. They were just playing not to lose. And we talked about that last week. That was something that came up last week. And it's just a shame. I mean, Daniel Jones had the highest rating for any quarterback in throws over 20 yards last season. That's considered a deep pass, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. So any throw over 20 yards is considered a a deep pass. Well, let me tell you something. I, I looked it up on my own. NFL's next-gen stats between week one and week two, Daniel Jones has only thrown three. Just three. Three deep balls. That tells me that Jason Garrett and the Giants are not playing to Daniel Jones' strength. And I've got a direct, personal, and impassioned message to one of the New York Giants, that coming right up. Welcome back to Danielle here in the daytime on the fan. Look outside. Isn't this one of the last days that the sun is going to set after 7 p.m.? Yuck. That's the worst. I hate that. When you wake up in the dark and you get home from work in the dark, you know, if you're a 9 to 5 oh, it's too much, too much. I love when the sun sets at like 9 p.m. All right, so um, Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony, I- I've got a message for you. You have to be kidding me. I mean, the Instagram story that you put up has to be a joke, right? In case you missed it, anybody listening, after the game Thursday night, Kadarius Tony posted a message to Instagram that read with a meme, stupid meme. It said, I don't be mad, S-word, just be lame to me, FR. FR means for real. So I don't be mad. S, just be lame to me, FR. Are you kidding me? And earlier today on Instagram, he posted media some clowns, S-U-M, media some clowns. First of all, that's my diss. Sorry, buddy. But he wrote media some clowns, but I'm above that, literally. And then the coughing emoji. You know, I don't know where to start. And by the way, I, I just I wanted to screenshot it myself. And it looks as though Kadarius Tony has absolutely disappeared from Instagram altogether. Gone. We just checked on the break. It's gone. No little blue check mark next to Kadarius Tony page on Instagram. You, Kadarius Tony, who my audience knows that I've been on to you since draft night. You, Kadarius Tony, who skipped voluntary OTAs. You, Kadarius Tony, who tested positive for COVID in training camp late July. Then you hurt your hamstring in training camp after mostly being back from COVID. Then your grandmother died. And then you missed all three preseason games. And then you only started fully practicing right before week one started, which was what? Last week. 
And under what delusion did you think that you were going to play a significant role in this offense, especially at the beginning, especially around guys like Galladay, Shepard, and Slayton? Because Zach Rosenblatt, who's a beat writer for NJ Advanced Media, said that at the game Thursday night, he observed Tony visibly upset on the sideline after being pulled off the field in the third quarter. Tony and Judge spoke for about 10 seconds, and then Tony stormed off visibly upset. He crossed his arms and stood alone away from his teammates. He didn't go back in the game. Wah! Tony was then not available to the media after the loss and has only been available two times. Twice, one, two, since training camp started. Since he's been there, I should say. I did notice that the post, the original one from the other night, was deleted fairly quickly, and then it was replaced with an Instagram story of three yawning emojis. I just find this hard to believe that Kadarius Tony cannot understand or figure out his role on this professional football team. On September 18th, literally just, I'm sorry, September 8th, literally just 10 days ago, He was asked about it. Here's how he responded. Early on, I really just want to really contribute as much as I can to this team. There is not a definite R answer, I guess you could say. You're just going to go with the flow, I guess. That was him on his playing time. So I'm confused. Where is his confusion coming from? Where on earth, Kadarius Tony, do you get away with posting that crap on your social media accounts? You, listening right now, you, my listeners. That's right, you, come closer. You have more receiving yards in the NFL than the Giants' first-round pick, Kadarius Tony. He's got a total of negative two yards on two receptions. So you, why don't you use that line at a bar tonight? You're welcome. Saquon Barkley said, there's no need to panic after the Giants started 0-2 for the seventh time in the last eight years. And then Sterling Shepard said after the game, This loss does not define our season. Well, let's just say I hope they're right. And let's just say Kadarius Toney, I hope he figures out his role on this team real fast because I think, and I said it on draft night, you guys know it, the Giants are going to regret drafting a guy like Kadarius Toney. I know his Twitter is still up, so I just also wanted to make sure that it was still up. He's got a pinned tweet. He's got an... Parental advisory, explicit content, uh, CD cover, album cover. No one calls it a CD anymore. My, my students tell me that. An album cover with him on the front of it. That's his pinned tweet. It's his, his, uh, his album. So again, I'm going to ask you how many months, the same question that I asked you on draft night, how many months later? Are you a rapper or are you a football player? Make up your mind. Because the Giants' time with you is, uh, the patience, I should say, is really running thin. Kadarius Tony, you're the clown, man. You are the clown. To Kevin in Camden, we go. Kevin, you're up on the fam. What's up, Coach? Oh, man, Kadarius Tony. What a clown. Uh, I don't even want to get started with you. You know, I didn't like him either. I told you that. When we drafted, I said that was a mistake. Mistake I city, mean, man. Be, yep. You, Gotta be kidding me! Mm-hmm. And, and and where would the Giants be without Graham Gano? Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, he is the best kicker. It's not even debatable. The nope. guy is the best kicker in the league. Yep, I said it last year too. When when yep. uh, it, remember it was coming down to Pro Bowl voting. Yep. He, he, and he got snubbed. That was that was ridiculous. Totally snubbed. But, yep. But prayers up to Nick Gates because that injury. Oh boy! Yes, that was that was 
That was tough. Yeah. But the Giants offense, I mean, look, I mean, you just said it. You left eight points, but that's just a, a touchdown. Look, Jason Garrett, I said it to many people, this guy's got to go. I mean, this guy's offense, he plays not to lose. You can't play like that. You got to, when you have an opponent on the move, you for it. You've got to go for it. Yeah. It's just, it's just it's frustrating, and, and you know I was just so mad, especially at the end of the game. I was so mad at what happened. Tony's not going to do nothing this year. I'm, I'm already telling you that, but I'm telling you, Tony, this is New York, boys. You can't handle it. Get get your butt out of here, please. I'm going to put it that way. And real quick, I'm going to go over the Yankees. Mr. Sanchez, um, <laughs> you, you, you drop you drop a you make a throwing error. That's one, and then you you. You don't catch a pop-up, and you said, oh, I wasn't in the right position. Dude, you're a catcher. <laughs> you should know your position by now, dude. Yeah. You had a former manager in Joe Girardi who was a catcher, and and you don't know the position right now? Give me a break. And then Boone's went in the postgame. Boone's went, oh, he just missed it. You don't miss a play like that. Now, I remember a couple years ago, uh, a couple years ago they were showing him, like, fielding balls. And I think one of your responses was, well, getting in a cage and your response, yes, yes. and I'll never forget it, it was like, <laughs> I want to see him field ground balls. No, no. <laughs> I yeah. always think about that tweet because, like, <laughs> he has not improved on that at all. Yeah. So, but this Yankees, this Yankees game, was it was just brutal. Uh, the post, I'm getting tired of the post-game stuff. I really, it's just, I hope they turn it around, but, like, I'm, I'm losing patience, and I'm losing faith in Bone, and I'm losing faith. In pretty much New York, because as I said yesterday, it's 3,513 days since we last won the title. All right, I was in 2011 when the Giants won. It's been that long, man. I'm like getting desperate right now. So, Kevin, just letting it all out tonight. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Coach. Yeah, Kevin. Appreciate it. You got it, Kevin. Um, and, and the tweet he was referring to is one of my better tweets, I must say, was uh, it was in the preseason, I think of this season or last season, it was Gary Sanchez. There was a video that I think the Yankees put up of Gary Sanchez in the cage, you know, taking batting practice, whatever. And it was like, uh, Gary Sanchez taking batting practice in Tampa. And I wrote, that's great. I quote tweeted it and I wrote, now that's great. Now show me Gary Sanchez blocking balls in the dirt. I think that's a pretty good tweet if you ask me. All right, let's do one more for the break here. Corey in Connecticut, you're up on the fan. Hey, okay, so I am 28, uh, a lifelong Mets fan and a house full of Yankee fans. My condolences, uh, yeah. I have a, <laughs> yeah, I have a three-word message first. Our friend Steve Cohen, all right? Uh, I'm going to be quick, and then I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go. Uh-oh, Corey, is this right? going to be clean? Yes, of course. Okay, always, of course. all right, good. Go for it. All right, ready? Fire Edwin Diaz, okay? I want to scoop my eyeballs out every time with an ice cream scooper. I see him take the mound, all right? I'm going to go. Uh, have a good night, all right? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Corey. And, and, and I don't like eyes. Like, <laughs> that was just a, a very vivid visual you gave me there. I don't, I don't like eyes when people touch them. Eyelashes go in them. I don't like it. So Corey's going to scoop his eyeballs out when he hears Timmy Trumpet sounding for Edwin Diaz. I think that's the sentiment of a lot of Mets fans. I will tell you, though, Corey, I'm going to echo what Brandon Nimmo said. I know it sounds crazy, Corey, but the Mets are not mathematically out of it. They're not. 
And when they are, though, I'll be bringing my own trumpet in, and I will be playing taps for that team and for the Yankees. And and you know what? That might be a new tradition coming on on, on this show. Uh, I will bring my trumpet and play taps for any of New York team that is uh, actually mathematically eliminated. I have to go start practicing. <laughs> All right, we're coming up on an Emmanuel. It's still Erica Herskowitz, right? Yes. Okay, so Erica Herskowitz has an update for you guys at 7 p.m. And we'll take more of your calls, of course, uh, right after that. 877-337-6666. The home of Giants football and Yankees baseball is WFAN, 1019 FM and the Odyssey app. Danielle McCartney. Sports Radio. Welcome back to the second hour of Danielle in the daytime. Danielle at dinner time. Maybe you're in the parking lot at City Field. Ready to take, see the Mets take on the Phillies. Uh, Kevin from Camden just sent me an Anthony DeComo tweet that said, On this day in 2006, the Mets clinched the NL East with a win over the Marlins. It is just one of two division titles the Mets have won in the past 33 seasons. Um, well, I'm 33 years old. So the Mets have won the NLEs twice in my lifetime. Not what you're looking for if you're a Mets fan. But the good news is that they are not entirely out of it just yet. Not all the way out. They're still in it. Technically, mathematically, they're still in it. Mathematically speaking, that is. As the sun sets here in New York City, you guys, 877-337-6666 is the number. Real quick, did you guys see that... uh, what New Jersey's own, what Rutgers' own Carly Lloyd did the other night. Yep. She's continuing to make history. That's what. Carly Lloyd scored five goals in one game. She is now the 10th U.S. women's national player to ever record five goals in a match, ever. And obviously in there is a hat trick. That was only the ninth recorded hat trick in U.S. women's national team history. And she's got two of them. Carly Lloyd has two of the nine. And now she's firmly in third place among all-time U.S. Women's National Team goal scorers. Hall of Famers Abby Wambach and Mia Hamm are the only two that are above her. And she posted on Instagram a very different message than Katerius Tony did. He, she said, thinking back to when it all started, I would tell myself, play every game as if it's your last game. And then I realized that it soon will be my last. Thank you, Cleveland. I heard and saw you all. I have to send an email on about three weeks from now to see if we can get Carly Lloyd on the show. Keep your fingers crossed, everybody. Oh, and Mets fans, I realize that it's about that time, and don't worry. And In a few minutes, the Mets are going to be taking the field at City Field. You know, Send me your setup. If you're listening to my show and watching on TV on mute, that would be great. That would be ideal. And don't worry. I will keep you posted throughout the show tonight, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. When your team takes the field. I appreciate that. I ran into that with the Jets on Sunday. I realized that, oh my God, wait, one o'clock. I'm going to be on during the Jet game. And there were some of you guys who set, sent me pictures of, of the your app playing on your laptop and then Jet game in the background. So I appreciate that. That's pretty cool. All right, to the phones we go. Uh, let's start off this hour with Simon in New Haven, Connecticut. You're up on the fan. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you, Simon? What's up? Oh, terrible. We got a, the Yankees. I'm telling you, what is wrong with Sanchez? Could somebody get him a first baseman's mitt, please? He Some, can't catch nothing. How about how about a seat cushion for left bench? Yeah. <laughs> you I'm know what? telling you though, Simon. Wait before you make your your point. 
Gary Sanchez is still trending on Twitter with 73,000 people talking about him nationwide. Hmm. That's when you know it's bad. I mean, it seems like whoever, whoever we had for a catching instructor is supposed to fix this problem. So far, it's the same. He still can't catch balls. He can't block balls. I mean, just convert him to DH and let Higashioka catch. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You already have a DH. His name is Giancarlo Stanton. That's the problem. I, mean, I, I don't know what, what, and you know, sometimes this lack of hitting, sometimes I think it's a conspiracy against these pitchers that they don't want to score runs. I mean, I, I know our pitching is, you know, we have good days and bad days, but come on, you got to score some runs for these pitchers. I mean, I mean, he, he, Boone has a habit of overusing this bullpen. I mean, I know the pitchers have good days and bad days, but come on now. He, uses, he overuses that bullpen. Just make the bullpen pitchers starters and put the starters in the bullpen. Yeah, well, I think that's the trend that, that he kind of wants there, Simon. Let's be honest. That is the new trend, isn't it? No, it's it's stupid, really, is what it is. It's actually stupid. And and Corey Kluber, Corey Kluber finally came through for the Yankees, didn't he, the other night? And then Luis Hill f- coughed it up, uh, four and a third inning. That's not going to get it done. You continuously go to the bullpen game after game, starting in the fourth or fifth inning. Of course they're going to get injured. I'm looking at a guy like Darren O'Day or Zach Britton or... Best case scenario, the best reliever left in there. Jonathan Lewisica out. All injury. I would attribute that to overuse. If 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 it's I'm not a doctor, I'm I'm not a Yankee pitching staff coach, but that's what I would attribute that to. I it's just it's just maddening, you know. And Gary Sanchez, you have one job. Your title is the word catcher. You have to catch the ball. If you're a pitcher on the New York Yankees pitching staff, if if I let's just say me, I, if I'm a pitcher on the New York Yankees pitching staff, I am not going to. I, I'm going to try my best not to bounce a ball to Gary Sanchez because the base runners are going to advance. And then what does that do? That makes me want to you know get a little higher a little bit, and that's right in the zone for a hitter. That's right in the zone. I cannot throw a waste pitch in the dirt, to Gary Sanchez, because I have. Literally 0% confidence that he's going to catch it or block it, get in front of it, keep the runners where they are. And that the stance with the knee down was to help him frame pitches is what everybody said. If he's got his knee down, he'll be able to frame pitches. Well, you tell me what's more important, framing pitches or being able to move laterally to block a baseball from heading to the backstop. You tell me what's more important. I know what my answer is. It's making sure that the ball doesn't end up in the backstop and the runners advancing all around. I cannot watch every single time and another one gets by Sanchez and that ball gets by Sanchez. I'm tired of hearing it. It's like it's predictable. It is so predictable. In a big spot, Gary Sanchez is not going to be able to come away and catch that ball. And 73,000 tweets later, people are starting to figure it out. And now the people are starting to put uh, like screenshots of Gary Sanchez and how bad he is. This one from a tweet from at DFA Haney, okay, says it, the first picture is Gary, is the, remember on the Subway series, the, the perfect strike from Joey Gallo to get VR at the plate? Gary Sanchez tagged VR too high up and he was safe. Remember that one? Or how about the one that went to the back to the backstop when I was camping in the wilderness to in, in Camden Yards? The first one, and then boop, the second one, 
in Camden Yards, right? I think there were two that night. I didn't watch the game, clearly. And then the one from today. You should see him. The screen grab on TV right now. Uh, on this guy's TV that he took a picture of is Gary Sanchez literally reaching backwards like a little leaguer as Mercado is holding his bat down and walking back to the dugout because he thought he was going to catch it. It's horrible. It's unwatchable. The Yankees should have unloaded him. And don't talk to me about his offense. I don't want to hear his offense. I don't want to hear about it. I don't. Because the Yankees have plenty of bats in that lineup that could that could that could mash the ball. What the Yankees need is a guy who's going to go station to station, base to base. That's what they need. I'm done with Gary Sanchez. I'm so done with Gary Sanchez. And you guys know I have a lot of patience. I do. I really do. I try to fix guys. I try to offer suggestions on how to fix them. What I would do to fix them. What I would do as a player. And yet Gary Sanchez, the catcher for the New York Yankees, cannot catch the baseball. You know, I had on my on my team a, a catcher. I won't give her name clearly. She couldn't catch the ball. She couldn't do it, but there was no one else on my team when I first started. There was nobody else on my team that can catch the ball. Every game was like five hours long. It was brutal. Umpires hated it, I'm sure, because they were getting hit by pitches. It was awful. It was a terrible situation. And every time I think of Gary Sanchez, I think of how terrible I felt watching my catcher from the dugout do the same. Brutal. It's just brutal. And if I have to hear, and that one gets by Sanchez, one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't. I don't know what I'm going to do. Lou from Astoria, you're up next on The Fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Oh, man, I don't know. How are so, you? Listen, before I go to the Yankees, I want to disagree with you, and I hope you don't get upset. What is it? Uh, first of all, I want to say Joe, uh, George George, the coach of the, Yang, of the Giants, mm-hmm. came in and introduced himself as a, when he was introduced as a Giant coach. Mm-hmm. The whole city bought into it. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, he hasn't even coached a game yet. And the whole city told this is going to be God. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, just like Lindor, this city is about winning. You don't win, doesn't mean anything. He said, drill side, you know, whatever. So you know what? So far, he better, he better, he better get his game going. But well, anyway, right? But so far, he hasn't won. He has he not hasn't. won. You're right. He hasn't. You are right about that. They're, that's they're, that's a fact. That's black and white. That's a fact. Okay. But now, but when yeah, you, go ahead. But how could you win with an offensive line as bad as the Giants? I mean, yeah, you but, can, you uh, can at have the same Jerry... time, he has to address that. He has to. He, he, I mean, but he's he not makes, the GM. He's, he's a drill sergeant. He has to address that. He's, this is not like uh, analytics in baseball where, where Luis Rojas has no choice but to go with the hand that he has. You but, know what I'm saying? But it's no, I don't because he's not the GM. And you can only, as I know, as a coach, you can only bleed so much from a rock, whatever that expression is. I can never yeah, get these right. Da- Daniel, when he came in, he, he, he was like, uh, he's the man. Am I right or wrong? He still is the man, actually, yeah. in anyway, my opinion. Anyway, let, let, me, let me go to the. To the to the Yankees, if you don't mind. Go ahead. With Gallo, okay? You you just uh, defended him. You said that, uh, okay, he's a strict... He, he, he's still a 211 lifetime hitter. But okay? that's what you knew what you were going to get. I said it on well, here. Minute, you knew what you were going to get. The, when he came into the Yankees, mm-hmm. we, we, we was very patient. Mm-hmm. He was hitting 133. And he wasn't even walking like he was walking with the other team that he was with. Okay. I mean, if he would have produced just a little bit, right now we wouldn't be talking about trying to make the playoffs. That's what my point is. But let me tell you something. I want, even though as a, as a big-time Yankee fan, I don't want him to make the playoffs 
because I want ownership to out, I mean, to finally decide that, you know, changes has to be made, okay? Because, I mean, Louis Hill, okay? Wait, it was, Lou, it was before, you go on, before you go on to Louis Hill, which he was perfect for 18 innings. Well, not perfect, but no runs scored in 18 innings. But anyway, Joey Gallo, and, and I'll make, let you make your heel play, okay, but Joey thanks. Gallo, since September 8th, is hitting 333 with a slugging percentage of 1,000 with six home runs and seven RBIs. You knew the player he was going to be, and we said it here. I know I said it. You knew what he was going to be when you required him. Feast or famine. If Danny the Yankees Abreu. are going to make a run into this playoffs, is this not the perfect time for Joey Gallo to get going? Daniel, but he's another strikeout to happen. He we, is? we have enough of those. Let me ask you something. If you was the GM, who do you rather have, Stalin Marte or Joe Gallo? And let me go to Luis. Don't 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 cut me off, okay? I won't. I won't cut you off. Who uh, do you have? I'm not who like do you that. Have? Um, I would probably let's see. Um, Marte. Marte. Yeah. With Derek Jeter, I didn't want to give it to us because you know what. Derek Jeter don't want us to do good because he's no longer here. What is your thought on that? But let me talk to let me let me say a little bit about Lewis, if the you don't mind. Problem is though, Marte's a right handed batter, isn't he? It doesn't matter. It does. I don't care. I don't In Yankee care. Stadium it, it does. If you can hit, Daniel, I don't care, you're a coach. If you have a a, a person in your team that can hit lefty or righty, can steal bases like he hasn't been caught yet, I mean that's what it counts. On on Lewis Hill. Let me tell you why that GM is something wrong with him, okay? This guy was going fine. Perfect, okay? And he decided to take him off the roster and send him to the minors, okay? Okay. Okay. The same thing that he's done to Glebo Torres mm-hmm. by moving him to shortstop, the same thing he did to Greg Allen and brought a guy named Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. which is was hitting 149. Daniel, you're a coach. You know what I'm t- trying to tell you. Something is wrong here. I mean, the pitching has been great for the Yankees right now. We don't score runs. Okay, uh, Sanchez, which is a bomb, like we we all know, he has six RBIs, six nothing. We couldn't care. We couldn't score another run. Mm-hmm. Daniel, something is wrong with this team. And let me tell you something. Sooner or later, you give me somebody. I don't care if it's a lefty or righty that that did what a DJ did. And I know it's not, it's not the same. I want somebody here that can make contact. Me too. Gonna strike out. Only in bowling sure. strikes count. Sure. You take care, sweetheart. Yes, thanks. Lou, great call. Really, really good call there, Lou. Really, seriously, good points on both teams there. But I will say that these Yankees can't score runs. I mean, all you have to do is look at, like, last night's game. 8 nothing. right? It's just this team. You're right. There is something fundamentally wrong with this team. And there's too many guys in a row that are either feast or famine at the plate. That's it. Feast or famine. Joey Gallo being one of them. It is. He is. But you knew that when the Yankees acquired him. And and playing in Yankee Stadium is it's it's you need to be a lefty. You it, no, not need to. You you are very beneficial. It's very very beneficial of you to be a left-handed batter in Yankee Stadium. Starling Marte, unfortunately, is a right-handed batter. I like what he's about. I like his approach at the plate, yes. But Joey Gallo is a left-handed batter, and you need it, and you saw it like immediately. The Yankees, right at the beginning of acquiring uh, Gallo and Rizzo, I don't have the number in front of me, but they were like something like 12-1 and or something right in those first 13 games, I think. You know, don't quote me on that, but it was something like that. And that's just attributed to the fact that you have a a lineup that's left, right, left, right, left, right. That's it. So... Joey Gallo is going to be with the Yankees next year. 
Gary Sanchez, will he be? Oh, maybe they can they can address that, you know, uh, your philosophy there. Maybe they can address that at the catcher's position next year. And it took them long enough. But the Yankees have finally bailed. Also, too, on the Glaber Torres is our shortstop experiment, finally. But has the switch back to second base actually helped him offensively? Well, I took a little numbers dive today, and I will update you and tell you about that coming right up on The Fan. Wow, this is old school Eminem. This is probably his best album that he ever he ever put out. This is the Eminem show. The song is uh, Superman. Yeah. Oh, what a good song. Brought me right back to like high school. I love Eminem. Eminem is one of the best rappers to ever live. And the Mets can use a Superman right now because if eh, during that commercial break there, Carlos Carrasco's fifth pitch of the game, the Gene Segura landed in the seats, one nothing. Philly. Bryce Harper is aboard at first base right now. I'm not giving play-by-play. I'm just giving you an update as JT Realmuto digs into the box. You know, because of my background, we talk often on here a little bit about sports psychology. The curious case of Glaber Torres is no different. When you're a player playing out of position, it sometimes screws with your production, both defensively and in some cases, even indirectly, offensively too. Glaber Torres falls into this category. You know, the Yankees announced while I was out in the wilderness on Monday, they announced early in the week that Glaber Torres is officially moving back to second base. Long overdue, in my opinion, but here we are. In a very small sample size, the trajectory at the moment is honestly just a little mixed, in my opinion. And I only grabbed five metrics really quickly, but I compared Torres' last five games, and the only games this season that he has started as a second baseman. I couldn't believe that, actually. And I did not include Saturday's game. And and those five games that he started at second base this season against the rest of the 108 games that he played exclusively as a shortstop. And it's mixed results, honestly. I know it's a small sample size, but, okay, his batting average is markedly higher as a second baseman, but his OPS is lower as a second baseman. His, uh, let me try to see if I can... I'm looking at my table that I, you guys know my tables that I make that I tweet out. His stolen bases per game is a lot better as a second baseman. Again, this is not including uh, Saturday's game. I mean, so it's just I looked at strikeouts per game and I looked at um, errors per game. It's it's just it's really mixed. So I think let's put this little discussion on hold. I think I we will definitely have a bigger sample size on Torres as a 2021 second baseman next week. I'm on. Uh, what am I on next week? Let me take a quick look. Um, let's see, let's see. Saturday the 25th, I'm on from 1 to 3.30, right up to the Yankees-Red Sox game. Okay, so we'll definitely have a bigger sample size then. I will update this chart. But as of right now, it's kind of looking like a lateral move for him, you know? And the Yankees are now, and this is including today's game, the Yankees are 4-2 and two when Torres is playing defense at second base. And I think Yankee fans would trade anything for a record like that over this stretch at this point. I mean, wherever the fielders align, right? They've still got a winning record, 4-2, and in in a push for the postseason. Because as you know, in New York, winning is everything. We talked about it already tonight. And the Yankees need to keep winning in order to make the postseason a possibility. And Giants fans, uh, hang in there really quick, because we've got uh, at 9.20, the Paul Dottino will be joining us for a live call-in. So Giants fans, 9.20 it is. And by the way, the Mets got out of that inning with a, a, an inning-ending double play. So here the Mets come to bat. VR, Nimmo, 
Lindor, Alonzo's in cleanup, Conforto, Baez, McNeil, McCann, Carrasco. There it is. Okay, let's go uh, in the order that you guys called. Roy in New Jersey. You're up next on the fan. Yes, hi, Danielle. What's up, Roy? It's me. I'm here. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. How I are just you? want to say that I, I, I think uh, you're doing a great job. Thanks. Uh, I'm a cab driver here in the city, and all I do is listen to your radio station, and I love you guys. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, one, watch uh, out for the yellow ones. Uh, they don't stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I right? Tell me about it. Look, a couple of things I want to touch up on, all right? I was at the Yankee game today. Mm-hmm. First thing. At this stage of the game, why are we putting somebody like Heaney on the mound? Ah. Secondly, why is it by the fifth inning, I would say a third of the stadium emptied out? Yep. What's going on with these fans? You know what? If you want your team to succeed, you have to stay there and stay there until the very end Mm -hmm. because they need that energy, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think we should touch up on that. Uh, I notice that a lot. Uh, every time I go to Yankee Stadium, if Yankees down by the fifth inning, you know, or fourth inning, everybody starts leaving. Mm-hmm. You know, that shouldn't be. I I, I, I don't think that a, a, a good Yankee fan should do that. Mm. So, Roy, did you stay? Hmm? Did you stay the whole game? I assume you did. I stayed the entire game until, yeah. the, until the last inning. I stayed, mm-hmm. and, I, and I was rooting for my team. I, I don't think that as a Yankee fan you should, you know, leave if you see that your team is losing. You know, there have been a lot of comebacks, you know, towards the last, you know, couple of innings, right, uh, in the past. So uh, why give up on your team so so easily? I, I, I'm so, you know, disappointed. Yeah, you, you know, and, and well, that's a good point you make. You make three good points, and, and let me touch on all three of them. Thanks for the call there, I appreciate you tuning in. And uh, by the way, the, the watch out for the yellow ones. They don't stop. That wasn't about you, Roy. That was about that was an Elf reference. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but Haney. Okay, first question he asked is why is Haney on the mound? Okay, the, the only thing, and I thought about the same thing too. I was driving in on the West Side Highway. I was like, why are they bringing in Andrew Haney? Are they just? It's like imminent disaster, right? And and it basically it was. So why are they bringing him on the mound? Uh, the one thing I would say is this: that tomorrow, the only thing I could think of was that tomorrow it's Garrett Cole on the mound. They do not want to ruin a Garrett Cole. And how terrible is this? They don't want to ruin a Garrett Cole start with Andrew Haney coming in in relief. That was the only thought that I had. And since I think at that point, I mean, I was driving and playing my best Jeff Gordon role on the West Side Highway. Sorry, but um, I would. I think they were down. What was it? Eight nothing at that point already. So I mean, what more damage could be done? I guess is the thought process. I'm not sure. But I'd, I'd rather have Haney in in an eight nothing game than like a three to two game. Uh, Garrett Cole won tomorrow. Let's just say. And then uh, you said a third of the stadium emptied in that fifth inning. Well, this Yankees team doesn't really come back. They ha- they they did not for most of the season during that thirteen game stretch, that winning streak. They did, and again they're back onto this laissez faire. Like oh, it'll come to us. We'll 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 do it. We're the Yankees. And you know what though. Fans leaving early on a Saturday game, uh, day game, Saturday day game, like there's no excuse. Like I could see it on like a Tuesday night. You know, you got school the next day, you got work the next day. I could, I could see it. I mean, they were down early and big early. I get it. But if I'm paying for my ticket, what X dollar amount, fill it in, whatever you pay for a ticket. If I'm paying for that, if I'm paying $15 for a beer, 
$20 for chicken fingers. And these are all as accurate prices as the last time I can remember being there. And I'm paying $45 to park. I am not getting back in my car in the in the fifth inning. <laughs> That's Forget about it. No way. You don't get half the rate of parking at Yankee Stadium. You don't. It's still the $45 whether you stay in inning or if you stay, if it goes into extra innings. Still the same. Which is $45 to park is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I tried taking the train to the game one time. Me and my friend from college, we tried. We really did. She lived in Cliffside Park. We kind of navigated our way. And, and this is like now, oh my God, like 12 years ago, but... 13 years ago, but what I remember is it was impossible for us to get there. I mean, we had to take the train, get to Grand Central. We had to get to New York City. We had to get to Grand Central. Then we had to get on another. It was just too much. It just took too long. And at nighttime after a game, I really don't feel like doing it on the New York City subways. I'm sorry. They're not safe. I don't feel like they are safe. But you bring up three great points there, and uh, and I'm with you on that. And and the one note, I did have a note in, in from the Met game that I was watching last night, taking notes on. Bottom of the seventh inning, the Mets were down, let's see, three to one at the point at that point. Three to one Philly. Top of the, uh, the I'm sorry, the bottom of the seventh inning. Mets are losing three to one. I wrote, the crowd is into it, is what I wrote. And then McCann singled right back up the middle on, on a nine pitch at bat. So the crowd came into the bottom of the seventh inning, and the Mets are, you know, let's say not as good as the Yankees team, right? And the crowd was into it in the bottom of the seventh. So I, I feel you. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I got you. Let's go Teddy and Yonkers. You're up next on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Danielle, long-time listener. I think you're great and very uh, informative. Thanks, Teddy. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Danielle, I'm a retired math teacher. I keep in contact with a number of my former students. Mm-hmm. They're in their 50s now. I can't believe I'm that old. <laughs> And uh, I told him, I texted him today, I said, Barney, without a doubt, 100%, 100%, the Yankees are not going to make the playoffs. He texted me back, and he said 200%. (laughs) Danielle, they have nine games consecutively with uh, Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay. Uh If they're lucky, Danielle, and I hope I'm dead wrong on this. I want everybody on on the air to listen. I hope I'm dead wrong. They'll be lucky to win six out of nine. And that's not going to be enough. Yeah. Danielle, they can't hand, they, they had to sweep Baltimore. Mm-hmm. They have to sweep Cleveland. They have to sweep Texas. And, Danielle, that can't be, you know, guaranteed anymore. Right. And the, the Yankees, are, I hate to say it, if you want to compare it to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. I don't know. And uh, what's your viewpoint on that, Danielle? Today, after today, do you think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs? I hate to put, it, give you on, put you on the spot. Yeah, no. Yes or no? Hey, Teddy, were you a statistics teacher before I let you go? Yes. You were. Yeah. Yes, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I know, yeah. I, I deal with it all. I mean, but, uh, you know, I'm 72 now. I got arthritis. I got uh, vein problems. So I'm not into the math like I used to be because, yeah. you know, I'm getting older and I'm changing. But I like listening to talk radio, and I, especially you, and I, and you're very good. Thanks, Teddy. I appreciate that. Um, so getting to the question, will the Yankees make the playoffs? Okay, well, I, I was listening to, on my way in, John and Susan, right? And, you know, Susan was like, I don't want, I can't take when people talk about strength of schedule remaining because just look, who had the Indians scoring 10 runs against the Yankees today? At that point, it was like 10 runs. And I was like, hmm, I talk about strength of schedule all the time. She must be talking right to me. I felt it. As I pulled up strength of schedule remaining. The Yankees have the tough seventh toughest strength of schedule remaining of all the teams in the league. They've got three games versus the Rays, 
three versus the Red Sox, and three versus the Blue Jays. As their t- It's listed as their toughest opponents. If the Yankees get into this, if the Yankees squeak into the playoffs in the postseason, I should say, I just, I, I, I want to say that somehow, some way, they will. Somehow, some way. But then again, here's the other cliche that I love doing. If the season ended today, the two wildcard teams would be Boston and Toronto as of right now. The Yankees would be a half game out of the postseason. Then we could start talking about what would happen at that point. But I think somehow, some way, these Yankees are going to make it. I can't, it's, it's, I can't quantify it with numbers. It's more of a gut feel. I don't know. I, I just think. I think they're going to do it. Not that I'm saying that they're going to win the World Series because this team is too wildly inconsistent to do that. But I do think they're going to sneak in somehow on the last day of the season into a postseason position. So we'll talk some more math. If you want to talk more math about it, we can do that. And uh, let me pull up the most recent numbers, and you guys can get aboard. 877-337-6666. Will the New York Yankees make the postseason? I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. So we went from Detroit with Eminem up to Toronto. Got some Drake coming on here, you guys. I'm more than just an Throwing it way back. Here on the fan, I'm Danielle. In the daytime, I guess technically dinner time. I don't, I don't know. Danielle after dark, what, whatever you want to call me, I'm here. I'm here with you guys until 10 p.m. when Chris McMonagle comes your way. Then C Mac, eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six is the phone number. And if you wanted to look more into the numbers of, you know, the postseason, it's starting to come into focus a little bit. And you know, the NL they do have two teams that have already made the postseason. They've clinched postseason berths. The AL's field is a lot less settled. So where do the Yankees fall? Where do they slot in mathematically? Well, like I just said, if the season ended today, forget about the Yankees winning the AL East. Forget about it. The Rays are nine games ahead, too far ahead. I'm sure my cousin is going to text me momentarily. You'll hear it. You'll hear the phone here. I'll turn the ringer up. Yes, I said it. The Rays are just too far ahead. They can't get caught nine games ahead of the Yankees. When you look at the wild card pitcher, it's really tight. The Yankees are now, as of this moment right now, a half game out. And then you look at the teams around them, right? You got the Red Sox real close, the Blue Jays real close, and then a little bit more distant are the A's and the Mariners. So I'm looking at, you know, strength of schedules. Bad news for the Yankees. The Boston Red Sox have the second easiest strength of schedule remaining. They've got three games with the Yankees and then four with the Orioles, three with Washington, and two with the Mets. So if I had to guess right now, I would say the Boston Red Sox are going to um, lock up the first wild card spot and the home game. And then it's, um, and then Toronto's got another easy schedule too. So the Yankees have, let me see. Yeah, both of those teams on their schedules, three games with each, three with the Red Sox, three with the Blue Jays. The Yankees have to make a statement in those games. If the Yankees can make a statement, they'll be good to go. But if this, if you're asking me right now, I'd say the Red Sox get the first wild card. I really do think the Yankees are going to sneak in with a second wild card. And Fangraphs, I love Fangraphs. They have them, the Yankees at a, I'm going to round up, a 45% chance to make the postseason. The Yankees, that is. 
And I checked this morning, and that's about a 10% drop from when I checked this morning. And a big key to the Yankees down this stretch is Luis Severino going to be back in this lineup somehow, one way or another? He's obviously not going to be a starting pitcher. He could be an opener. He could be a longer reliever. Severino, he told uh, Meredith Morakowitz yesterday, Friday, he said, I feel game ready. So that's a good sign. Herman should be back by, I think they said this come, upcoming week. I mean, those are two really big pieces. So if they can get those two guys back, I think the Yankees are going to be in business. I really do. So I'm not down on the Yankees. And as you check and I look at the TV in the studio here, the Mets are uh, still losing one nothing. top of the second, two outs. Galvis is up. That, that had to, yeah, that was a strike. Okay, it was a delayed call by the umpire. 2-2 <laughs> two, two to Galvis, two outs, runner on second base, top of the second. Well, all the twos. All right, we'll go back to your calls. 877-337-6666. Mike in West Palm. You're up on the fan. Professora, Saturday night, I just go on my phone. I said, let me punch in WFAN. And, and I don't call all the time, but see who's on the microphone. And there you are. It's me, Mike. So do you. <laughs> I, know. I got a kick out of that, a couple of calls back, math teacher. You know, fantastic, you know, the laws of probability and this and that. I'm just glad I didn't ask any questions on the air because, uh, you know, I probably, you know, took a little nap, so I would have been what? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, my Mets are just telling you, producer, um, uh, they're in quicksand right now. Uh, you know, just to break it down, my man DeGrominator, big loss. You know, Syndergaard didn't come back. Too many injuries overall. Um, and... Uh, you know, they're, uh, they have to look forward to next year. And I hope the Yankees, you know, I hope all the Yankee fans out there, this can't be, oh, they haven't been in the World Series since 09, this can't be, you know. But I hope they, they uh, uh, nudge it in there. But what do they got, like um, 12 or 13 games left in the season, something like that. Yeah, the Yankees uh, have 13, yep. 13, yeah. And I, I do. And I'm glad, uh, you know, uh, they have spurts. I love some of these fans that talk to them down here, you like, Listen, listen, it, it's an ebb and flow. Uh, and the toughest thing to do in sports, I said it on your show before, Danielle. Uh, you know, you were a ball player, and others I know ball players, and this and that. Uh, toughest thing to do, <clears throat> hit a round ball with a round back, mm-hmm. and hit a square. And, you know, the Mets and other teams, they, they just they have their ups and they have their downs. That's a long, long season. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else? Uh, I get a kick out of your left. I get a kick out of Aaron Boone. Uh, I'm watching the game today, and, and I said, geez, I, I tuned in late. It was 10 nothing uh, Indians. I can't call them political correctness, Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I get a kick at Aaron Bull when he's chewing that bazooka. Yeah. And they're losing. He does like, uh, on a trumpet, it would be an up-tempo song. You know, it would be uh, like I could do a rim shot. Uh, he's doing it like 100 miles an hour. He's chewing that gun. Yeah, I know. Like, like, a, like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Unreal. Uh, you know, I'll leave you with this. And they're always good listening to you, and, and you do have a following, uh, as you know. But I gotta give, uh, uh, I gotta give a shout out. I have a daughter, I have nieces. Uh, I gotta give a shout out to the U.S. Olympic team for stepping up and saying what needed to be said for a long time. And that doctor, well, he's got a few decades to contemplate his uh, his uh, deviant behavior. I'll leave it at that. You know what I mean? Uh, but all the Yankee fans out there, hey, good luck. Uh, I got to watch my green and white Jets tomorrow. Uh, 
And uh, Danielle, you uh, uh, you've got serious. What's the word? You got serious mojo behind the microphone. What can I say? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Talk next week. Um, yeah, you know what? And, the, and good for you for bringing that up. The, the gymnasts, good for them. I mean, it can't be an easy thing to keep reliving over and over and over again. So, U.S. women's uh, gymnastics team, good for them. They won both um, on the what do you call it? The beams and the I don't know. You know, it's not a field, but but they went out there and they went off of it too. So good for them. And uh, I'll tell you, the Yankees. I think they're going to sneak into the postseason. The Mets, although they're not mathematically eliminated. Uh, they've got, uh, like Miley Cyrus, an uphill battle because they have uh, one of the toughest strength of schedules remaining as well. The Mets do. Uh, let's see. We can go. Yeah, let's go one more. Let's go Mary in Long Island. You're up next on The Fan. Hi. I love it. Somehow, some way, you have to have T-shirts made up. <laughs> oh. Seriously, you make a killing. You oh, make my. a killing. I gotta, hold on. I got to trademark it first. Let me open up the, the New York, uh, I mean, the U.S. Uh, trademark uh, website here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's better than you got to believe. Oh, my God. All right. I got to look it into is. this. I got to look into it. Oh, you go for it. You go for it. <laughs> Someone already beat me to it. Go for it. You take care. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Somehow, some way. All right. Can, can someone help me get on that? You guys can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. We can make some money off this, maybe. Somehow, some way. And whether that be uh, through any of these guys returning from injury, maybe uh, Joey Gallo's neck doesn't hurt so much that he's just going to come back in the lineup tomorrow and uh, just continue the tear that he has been on. Maybe Gary Sanchez is going to catch a ball or two in a crucial spot. I mean, I don't know. I mean, all of these things are possible. Can they all happen at the same time? Well, see, that's, that's you know, another part of this. All right, let's go. Dennis in my hometown of Dumont, New Jersey. Dennis, what's up? Hey, Danielle, how are you? I'm good. How are you? All right, I'm doing all right. You're Dennis from the main office, right? Yeah, that's me. Hey, yeah, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Um, I was just doing a tough loss for the Yankees today, but I was reading in the post about Severino. You brought up and mentioned about that. They said that hopefully he'd be back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with his arm and injury and all that stuff. But hopefully yeah. he does come back to the lineup and we can get back on track. But I'm kind of up and down 50-50 with it because not only Severino, we have to rely on Montgomery. We can't always rely on Cole. We've got to rely on Severino come back healthy, right. which optimistic he'll pitch for this year. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But we also have to rely on Montgomery and all the others, too, is involved. But it's great to talk to you. You're doing a great job. I saw your dad today. He beat the horn at me. But oh, did he? Yeah, I'll, but it's great. <laughs> Keep up the good work, and hopefully see you soon. Yeah, Dennis, right, Daniel. thanks. I appreciate it. Good job. Thank you. Um, Dennis works in the main office of, of my high school when I, when I was in high school. So I, I assume he's still there, I guess. But, um, yeah, so Severino, uh, Friday, yesterday, Friday, Severino threw two innings of, of live batting practice at Yankee Stadium. And his hitters were Rugnet Odor and Tyler Wade. And let me tell you something. Every single time that I've been to Yankee Stadium as a member of the media, you're let in, you know, early, early. And I'm like one of the first ones there. I try to be. Those two guys, Odor and Wade, they are always out there taking ground balls, doing whatever. They, those two are consistently the first two hardest work. First two Yankees out there, probably among the hardest working Yankees that, that everybody can see. I know there's a batting cage underneath and everything. But with that said, Severino threw to the both of them. On Friday, fastball hit 96 mile an hour, miles an hour. Aaron Boone said that uh, that Severino looked really sharp. And this is a quote. He said, I feel like his energy and intensity have been good. There's a confidence that he has, especially in his arm right now. 
And the best thing I heard out of all of this whole thing was what he said to Meredith. He said, I feel game ready. And then ultimately, I mean, there was no date given of return or whatever, but Aaron Boone said, I can envision him being with us pretty soon if everything goes well. Well, I mean, I'm tapping my watch here. Time is of the essence. There are 13 games remaining for the Yankees. 13. So how soon can reinforcements be brought in? And listen, you're not getting. You're lucky to get three innings from from Luis Severino. I would say three, and you'd be happy with that. So that's an opener. Or that's a different look middle reliever. If you have a situation where Luis Heal, like today, goes four and a third, okay, four and a third, add a little bit together there, and, and with a bullpen that's depleted, pretty much, you could throw Severino out there for three innings. I think any Yankee fan would co-sign that, for sure. And I wouldn't rush him back after the Cleveland Yankees have Texas, three games versus Texas, I would not rush him back for those three games. So you're looking at Friday the 24th, starts the Red Sox series, and the Blue Jays series. Anywhere, I would say, Luis Severino return, if he's going to return, would be any time between the Friday coming up, Friday the 24th, and I would say Wednesday the 29th. Anywhere in there. I would probably say during the ball. I would say, if I had to guess, and tell me, mark it down, if Luis Severino comes back, he will be pitching in the Sunday night baseball game against the Red Sox on the 26th. That's my guess. I'm sticking to it. We've got a, a quick break here, quick turnaround. Erica Herskowitz update. And um, we'll talk more about the, the Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, whatever you want to talk about. The Mets are still down one nothing. It is the bottom of the second and two outs. So I'll be right back with you guys. 877-337-6666. Now is the time to get aboard with the manual. I'll talk to you guys on the other side of the break. The fan is on your smart speaker. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, Okay, Google. Play WFAN. to the third hour of Danielle in the daytime, we'll call this, here on The Fan in New York City. I'm Danielle McCartan with you till 10 p.m. And Chris McMonagle comes your way. Uh, like Erica just said, the Mets are threatening here with James McCann at the plate. I've got one eye on that. I've got one eye on my Twitter feed. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. If you guys are not on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, that's cool. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. I don't really give it out much, but I am on Instagram, too. Uh, I believe it's Coach McCartan there, too. Um, I think. I don't even know. You know who's not on Instagram anymore? Kadarius Tony. After his outlandish behavior and his calling out of the media and his uh, subtweeting and cryptic messages, Kadarius Tony has all but disappeared from the good old Instagram, although he still is on Twitter. And I just put up a poll. Because I love polls. I told you last week, there is not a single poll on Twitter that I've scrolled past that I did not vote in. I don't care what it's for. So I just put one up of my own. I, I wrote, and I'm going to direct you to, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Um, my question to you is, will the Yankees make the postseason? I have three choices. I'm trying to also gauge, yes, whether or not they're going to make it, or and also your like confidence level in it. So my three choices are, A, absolutely. 
B, somehow, some way, or C, not this year. And we've got a couple votes coming in already. The leading right now is not this year with 65% of the vote. I love the short polls. I don't put polls up for three days. I put them up for like one segment, 15 minutes. So this one has 13 minutes left. You guys can go ahead and vote. And, uh, you know, you guys also know, speaking of polls, that I'm into wearing the gear of all of our New York teams for the show. And, you know, sometimes when I'm unsure of which team to rep, I actually uh, I take it to a poll. And I just I get a kick out of how much you guys like. I don't know how, how into it you guys get. I mean, there were little arguments this time in the comment section, in the replies section of the one hour poll that I put up earlier today. So for night, tonight's show, I gave you four choices, Giants, Jets, Yankees, or Mets. And this was the closest poll that I've ever put up to date. And the Jets just edged out the Yankees by literally 1% of the vote. I'm sitting here in a green New York Jets polo. Hoping for a Jets W tomorrow. My prediction and your feelings on the game coming up in a little bit. And James McCann is still battling at the plate. Runners on the corners. One-two count. Phillies lead the Mets. One-nothing. All right, we'll go to the phones. 877-337-6666 is the number. Steve in Flushing, you're up next on The Fan. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath about the Mets putting up more than one or two runs, but uh, you know, hey, good luck trying to win a game. <laughs> we'll see. Um, All right. Of the season. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, again, that, calling to follow up on uh, on the Mets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most fans uh, realistically know that the season's probably over. Um, just curious, going forward for the future. By by the way, that saying you had somehow, some way would be great for the Mets fans, just because. We rarely make the postseason, and when we do, it's like, you know, it's a huge, huge deal whether we do well or not. So, I mean, the Yankees, you know, they'll always have enough talent where they're they're in contention with the Mets. I mean, you know, we want to spark the the, the fan base and get the owner. You know, I, I think somehow, some way would, would be something he you'd really be into. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I know Yankees fans have also, you know, haven't won anything in 10 years, but uh, I think the Mets fans would need to that sort of a desperate saying a little bit more than Yankees fans at this point. <laughs> well, Steve, I, I'm uh, going to ship out the shirts in, in uh, blue, navy blue and white, and uh, also, uh, re- uh, I'm sorry, blue and, and, and orange. I can make them in both. Per- perfect, yeah. More <laughs> revenue for you, more power to you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Good idea. Um, yeah, I just was, I wanted to call because I was just going forward with the Mets. I was, um, you know, wanted to get your opinion. You know, we, you know a lot of People are chiming in, you know, Rojas has not done a good job. And, yeah, there have been times where he just has not looked uh, seasoned, I would say, uh, nicely as far as making decisions at critical times in games. And, yeah, I mean, it probably cost us two or three games at this point, maybe a little more. But, I mean, we still just can't hit. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the future, and we got guys like Michael Conforto, you know, Javi Baez, who has come along and is starting to play the way, you know, we hoped he would. Mm-hmm. And we've got um, – uh, Marcus Stroman, who's, who's I think I believe is a free agent as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to sign all three guys. Um, it's going to take a lot of money, especially for Baez and Stroman. I think mm-hmm. I think they're going to want probably multi-year deals. We may be able to get Stroman on a three-year deal. I'm not sure, but Baez might be a five to six-year deal. I just don't know if you know with the relationship between him and the fans is you know can he last in New York for six years? No, you know? he cannot. Um, no, he cannot. Yeah. I, yeah. He. So he I, is, I, I'm pressing the absolutely no button on Javi Baez. Forget about him. Done deal. Done. Okay. okay. No. A lot of Mets fans, you'll be surprised on social media. They they say out of all three, Javi Baez is their number one target. Because, like I said, there's no offense. And he's been the only offense in the desert. You know what I mean? Mm. So, 
at least he scores runs and, you know, he's got the power. Him and Alonso are basically the only guys scoring for us, let's be honest, in the last two weeks. So. Oh, well, Brandon Nimmo is back, so he, he you have to add him in that. But, uh, no, he, Javi Baez, the thing is with Javi Baez is is the whole thing. You, you hit it, the, 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 the culture that he brings along with him. I don't like it. Ever since he got here, you know, these Mets were like Alonzo with the home run home horse, and all these guys are having a fun time, right? You see it. You see it happening. Yeah, they, they, they have chemistry, yeah. Bias comes but here I and mean, destroys the whole thing. I mean, it's just that, you know, like McNeil's just not hitting. I don't know if it's just a fluky year. Um, I mean, where are we getting our power from? You know, Conforto, to me, is, is a 20-25 home run tops guy, year 80 RBI guy. That's what he's shown um he had one really really good year i think in 2019 but he's you know and nimmo is just a singles hitter like where are we getting our power well, from? Steve, you know I, you know i would i would look at that and, and obviously we don't know you know who's who's content or whatever but i would look at the third base position i think jd davis is expendable and i think maybe you find that in, a, in an available third baseman i haven't looked yet who would be available but chris bryant i think is the name that um, chris bryant was my choice he, the, the mets picked the wrong cub and then let's just be honest the mets <laughs> picked the wrong cub it should have been chris yeah. bryant it should have been and i haven't done a numbers comparison in, in a while but i am sure that chris bryant has better numbers than javi bias still yeah, yeah i mean it's it's gonna be tough i mean i you know even even pitching wise um stroman's been a rock and you know who yes. knows, maybe he pitched really well because it's his free agent year if we sign him to a three-year deal maybe he I mean, I don't think he will. I think I think he's a he's a guy you can rely on every year to put up quality I agree. starts. But yes. yeah, so I, I I would go maybe three or sixty for Stroman and um, um, maybe a year for Conforto just to see how he does if he's willing to take a one year cushion deal. Well, and then um, yeah, I don't know one yeah. or two years something if he's willing because I know he wants to stay a Met. So I mean, we can well, probably get him on the cheap. Well, so. I mean, there's one thing to stay. Steve, good thanks for the call. Good call. There's one thing to say. You know, you want to he, he wants to stay a Met, but. He's also in that age where he also wants to get paid. He has not, in my opinion, um, played to that potential. So I'm looking at, okay, so out of the three, Baez, Stroman, and uh, Conforto. Baez, I want no part of moving forward. He was the wrong cub to begin with. I, I don't want any more Javi Baez in a blue and orange uniform. No. Then you look at Marcus Stroman and Michael Conforto. Okay. Let's take Conforto first. Conforto. He's uh, 28 years old. The Mets are going to extend to him that qualifying offer. I don't think he's going to take it. But I feel like like there's two edges. There's two sides to the sword. Like if, yes, I say sword, like I pronounce the W. My kids in my class, I didn't know it was wrong until like my seniors one year. Like you say sword? What's wrong with you? I, I didn't know. Uh, but it's a double-edged sword here. Michael Conforto. Listen, if you take the qualifying offer and prove yourself that you are worth more than the way you're playing this year, great. There's also a chance that you can also get hurt. So that's another issue. If it were me, I would take the money elsewhere. I I would take the money. Whether that's with the Mets or elsewhere, I would take the money. He's in the prime of his career. He's uh, 28 years old. And the spot track has him, uh, you know, marked out as a a six-year deal for $150 million. I mean, it, that sounds about right. I'm talking that average annual salary. I'm just trying to compute it in my mind. It's about $25 million a year. Uh, it sounds about right based on the potential uh, and, and the track record, I should say, of Conforto. But 
the way he's playing this season, it's not that much. And don't forget, he's repped by, guess who? Scott Boris. Okay, so Conforto, I'd be iffy on. It depends on the dollar amount, and it depends on the year. Baez, I'm out on. Conforto, I'm iffy on. The guy you have to re-sign, and I know he's a polarizing sort of guy, Marcus Stroman. You have to re-sign Marcus Stroman. He's 30 years old. And Spotrack says his market value is four years, $84 million, Works out to be $21 million a year. I would do it. I mean, when you look at what has happened to this Mets pitching staff, which was supposed to be among the best in the entire league, if not the best, DeGrom, is he going to come back this season? I think he should no matter what. Because if he's going to need surgery, you'd rather see it now in September or no now in September than in February or March. And then you could proceed accordingly. Okay. Then you've got Syndergaard, who is a question mark at best, right? Carrasco. You mean you got all these guys that, that a starting pitcher is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. And Marcus Stroman has been nothing but solid for the Mets this season. Maybe he's playing for the contract. Maybe. But the guy's playing his heart out. The guy, he is one of the best pitchers in the league, I would say, Marcus Stroman. And he shows you it every single time he goes out there. He really does. I mean, making diving plays to tag out the runner at third. Come on. Diving plays on bunts, coming up short and throwing from his knees, throwing the runner out. I mean, that's everything you want to see from a pitcher. As Segura takes Carlos Carrasco deep again to left field. Second home run tonight. 2 nothing Philly. So were we not just talking about pitching and reliable pitching? Stroman is a reliable pitcher. Go out and sign him. Let's go Tommy in New Hyde Park. You're up next on the fan. Oh, hi. What's up, Tommy? I'm here. I was just yelling at my wife who hit a two-run home run. Yeah. No, it was, it was a solo shot from Segura again. I was just talking about How are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice to hear from you. Well, thanks. You called me, though. Well, I know, but I <laughs> want to ask you about, first of all, the mess, but I'm going to ask you about the Jets. Okay. First. Yes. Now, what do you think we're going to do this against New England? You, do you think we're going to win or cover the spread or... What do you think? Hmm. Well, I don't want to give away all the marbles yet, but I'll tell you, you gotta that. Gotta give me a, one marble. Yeah, I'll give you one. I'll tell you, it's not looking good, in my opinion. All right. Yeah, I got the prediction coming up uh, a little bit, actually, about fifteen minutes. All or right. So. Uh, my next question about the Mets. Yes. Now I want to know what you want to know about Roas. You want to keep him or let him go? Because nah. really, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, I'd let him go. I mean, it, it's ser- he served his purpose. It, it's enough's enough. I mean, there's there's only so many things you could see, uh, mismanaging of the bullpen, uh, batting orders, this and that. I, I, I've seen enough from Rojas and the stupid explanations he gives afterwards. It's just yeah. I, I've seen enough. You know, Danielle, I understand that, but you know, my problem is with you can't keep changing managers all the time, just like you just do. Yeah, we got to settle with somebody sooner or later. No. Yeah, it's got to settle on the right guy, though. You don't want to be locked into the wrong guy for a long period of time, like like the Jets were with Adam Gase. Like, look where that got them. Like, worse than well, ever. Well, Adam Gase was two years. That was a disgrace. Oh, horrible. 
oh my god you couldn't even look at him no adam guru i was calling him here on this show but i i think <laughs> i think funny. uh I, I think rojas has has seen you know enough out of rojas that, that's it done deal i think you know what it is tommy i think he's just too uh, married to the numbers. I mean, he's he's comes from a baseball family. Put the clipboard down, put the iPad down, and manage from your gut. That's what I would yeah, like to he, see from Rojas over this next couple of you know games for the Mets. I, you know what, uh, Danielle, I agree with you. He doesn't manage from the gut. Nobody does anymore. No, well, certain teams do, but this analytical thing. All right, fine. He works a little bit, but it takes away from people. Manage what you got. Yeah. Well, and it's a balance. And thanks, Tommy, for the call. We're going to get into this. Sure, I'm I'm ready for it. It's a balance. It's I'm going to look at these numbers in front of me on all of these iPads, and I'm going to look and feel the situation of what's going on right now. And like Taiwan Walker. Taiwan Walker literally publicly called out Luis Rojas after taking him out too early last night. And it's not the first time it's happened to Rojas, and it's not the first. It's happened to Boone, too. I mean, did you not see Garrett Cole in that ninth inning that day scream in Boone's face? Like, you're not taking me out. Okay, these guys are too married to these numbers. For me, an ideal managerial candidate would have the numbers in front of them and say, you know what, tonight I'm going to call on X player to be my pinch hitter. Uh, Tonight I'm going to keep X pitcher in the game longer than this this iPad is telling me to do so. You got to have a feel for the game. And I know Luis Rojas does. So if I were him... Knowing that I'm being raked through the coals, you know what I would say? I'd take the iPad, I'd put it to the side, and I would manage how I want to manage. That's what I would do. And I don't know. We'll see what happens tonight. It didn't happen last night. And you got Gene Segura with two home runs on the night. Okay, let's see what they do the third time. So You know what I'm doing the third time to him? I'm issuing him, as long as the bases aren't loaded or anything like that, I'm issuing him an intentional base on balls. You cannot beat me three times in three at-bats with a home run. It's not happening. Not going to happen. So Jets fans, besides the blatantly obvious Zach Wilson, which singular player will be an X-factor for the Jets offense? You tell. You could tell me yours at 877-337-6666, but maybe it's a little obvious now. I got a guy. And maybe you want him on your fantasy team if he's not already taken. Fill you in. Coming up after the break. Emmanuel's throwing it back again. It's old school Eminem. I know this is a sample beat. I know. This is an old school Eminem song. Man, bring me back to one of the best albums he ever wrote, made, performed, whatever. My poll has ended on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Welcome back to Danielle in the dark, I guess now. I don't know what to call it. I love the alliteration. Danielle McCartan before midnight, whatever. Uh, I'm on until 10 p.m., you guys. So uh, my, the the results are in for my poll. Will the Yankees make the postseason? I gave you three choices. Absolutely, somehow, some way, not this year. And it was 15-minute poll, 14-minute poll, whatever it was. 60% of you guys voted not this year. And even if you combine both the affirmative uh, you know, tallies, it's still, it's still not more than the fans that say that the Yankees are not going to make the postseason this year. It'd be interesting. And, and postseason, oh, I should have put that one word. It's definitely one word. I put a space by accident because I was type, talking and typing at the same time. But anyway, um, 
I, I'm going to say somehow, some way, that would be my vote. Somehow, some way, these Yankees are going to get in. They're going to get hot at the right time. But here I am perpetuating the laissez-faire attitude that Aaron Boone has, right? You got guys that really want it. And as much as I've gotten on him, Brett Gardner is one of those guys. He's, he talked to the team after the, the loss in uh, in Baltimore on Wednesday night. I think it was Wednesday, right? Was that the, I wasn't here Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. I wasn't around. But after that last loss in Baltimore, Brett Gardner addressed the team. I kind of like that. I do like that. The Mets are still losing. Top of the fourth, 2 nothing to the Philadelphia Phillies. Carrasco's on the mound. He's only thrown 41 pitches. That's pretty good. Pretty efficient. Besides the two home runs he gave up to the same guy. Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. I will tell you my uh, Jets X Factor coming up in a little bit. Mike in Blauvelt, New York. You're up on the fan. Oh, hi, Danielle. Um, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Oh, and last time I talked about Derek Jeter, were you able to get to the uh, Hall of Fame induction by by any chance? No, I wish. No. Yeah, okay. I want to talk to you football, some football, but I want to make some baseball points. Got first. it, go. That I, I think the Yan- you look at the um, schedule between the Yankees, Red Sox, and the Blue Jays, and um, they all have, they have some easy games, but the Red Sox... You know, they have to play the Mets, and, and the Mets could help out the Yankees by beating them. They you know could. I know. I did think about that. But the, the Boston, Boston Red Sox have the Orioles, the Nationals, and the Mets on their schedule remaining. I mean, I mean whoever makes it, I think somehow, some way the Yanks will get in, but it's going to be, it's not going to be, it, it's, it's, gonna, it's really exciting. You have three teams fighting for two two spots, mm-hmm. and that uh, comes out. And I'm, I'm going to get to my football point that, uh, you know, that um, Zach Wilson Reminds me, you're too young. I don't know if you read about it, but Peyton and um, Manning and Eli Manning's dad, he was running for his life when he was first drafted by the Saints. They called him the Aints. I don't know if you ever read up on that. No. But, oh, he, they called him the Aints. And they used to wear paper. Peyton, when he was a little kid, would wear a paper bag to the stadium. You know, they were, they were, you know <laughs> it's an interesting story about that. that yeah. uh, this is going back to this. I was seven years old. This is 1970. Well, Mike, I think of uh, uh, when me and my dad and my brother once went to a Giants game at, I think it was yes. the, the old Giants stadium, I believe. And yes. people were wearing bags over their head for Eli Manning, believe it or not. Oh, yes, because when he first came up, he, he struggled a lot. He struggled yeah. um, um, really badly until, until you know, it took him about a year. That's why I think Daniel Jones is, is – I, 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 I think he'll be – I don't think this is going to make a break here because I, this man has talent. I think it's the defense that's letting him down, not Daniel Jones. I think it's the offensive line. But the problem is that the Giants, when are they going to be poised to have such a high pick again? I mean, we say this every year here in New York, but when's the next time they're going to be picking so high in the first round? I believe they have two first-round picks. I mean, that, that to me, defines make or break for the quarterback. Well, Barkley's a much better draft pick than Ron Dane was. you got to admit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you for your time. Yeah. Of course, Mike. Didn't you want to make a baseball point, you said? Oh no no I, I pretty much made that up. I pretty much made it this the, the, the about the pen, about the race yeah the strength of schedule remaining you yeah got it. yeah all right thank you okay Mike you got it um and and as he was talking too and you know at the beginning of the season everybody thought oh my God the NL East that's going to be the most difficult division blah blah right you know well first of all in the NL it's nowhere close in the NL it's actually the West because out of all the entire league there are only two teams that have made. The postseason clinched a spot, that is. That is the Giants and the Dodgers, and they are coming out of the West. Flip over to the East, and you look at 
the the wild card race. Let's say that ten, ten times fast. The wild card race in the AL. The Rays are have basically made the postseason, as far as I'm concerned. But then you look at the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees. They are all vying. Like he said, perfectly. Three teams for two spots. The only team that's really out of it is the Orioles. Four teams, four of the five teams out of the AL East are in playoff contention. Now, is that does that make the AL East one of the most difficult divisions in the league? Maybe. I still think the NL West has something on them, though, because the Padres are still in the hunt as well. Giants, Dodgers, Padres, AL East, Rays, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees. That's four teams. I don't know. I don't know. And then they're just showing the NOS on TV, actually. I'm just looking up to see with my other eye what's going on in the Mets game. Uh, McCutcheon just jacked one to left field, but that, who is that? McNeil. Yeah, McNeil settled under it. We head to the bottom of the fourth inning. The Mets are down two to zero. Lindor, Alonzo, and Conforto are all due up. And we will head to the phones here. Ed in Elizabeth, you're up next on the fan. Good morning. I mean, excuse me. Good, <laughs> you're used to saying good morning, you. aren't you, Ed? <laughs> good evening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to calling you real early in the morning. I, I know. Apologize. All good. It happens. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't think the I don't think the Yankees are getting in. Uh, the reason being, number one, again, they got the same thing from the playoffs in the past, but it's been all year inconsistent hitting. Uh, again, uh, and the pitching is going to be better in the playoffs. Two, the defense is shaky. And i got to ask you this question. How did the Yankees hire a catching coach who was never a catcher? And the other night when that wild pitch came with uh, Gary Sanchez, why is he on his knee with a runner on base? Mm, I, that's okay. the big problem, right? Why is he on his knee? Oh, it's to help with pitch framing is what they said. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm, a former, I'm a former high school Umpire. Gary Sanchez is the worst framer in the world. All he does is pull pitches. <laughs> he stinks. Yeah. He's not okay. fooling anybody, huh? No. And, I, you know, and, and he got him on his knees and all that Horrible. Stuff. Zero. Then, Zero you know, percent lateral. Hey, as you said you were an umpire, you said? Used to be a high school umpire for 38 years. Okay. So how much did you hate the kids that couldn't catch the ball? How much did you hate them? Did you ever have a borderline call go the other way because the catcher in front of you couldn't catch the ball? Be honest. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's the best one. With the way everyone's taught framing out, when they pull the ball, I, I don't I don't call it a strike. Yep. I, I, I said, you're not going to make me look bad by pulling the ball yep. on that. Yep. Uh, so that's nothing. And the third and the third thing, Daniel, the Yankees pitching has been inconsistent. Yes. The only one since, since really the All-Star break, i, I got to maybe give three. Since the All-Star break that has been, has been good, has been Cole, mm-hmm. Nestor Cortez. Yes. And Jordan Montgomery. But the only thing is Jordan Montgomery always has a high pitch count, and he they can't land for the game with them. Yeah, he gets and, knocked around and, a little bit, Montgomery, yeah. Yes, he does. And, and, and another thing, the bullpen is really, really shaky right now. You, don't, you know, And I feel for Aaron Moon because it's almost like he's flipping a coin who to go with. You know what I mean? Well, he's got an iPad in front of him. That's telling him who's, who, who he's picking. He's not no, picking it from he, his gut. No, no, he's got Brian Cashman telling him what to do. And Brian Cashman... Better go back to the old ways of the 90s when it was really fun. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. I do know what you mean. Yes. And unfortunately, yep. so uh, I don't know. I don't I don't think that's ever possible. I don't think they can go backwards. I think they're stuck in it, honestly. Well, again, they're not playing well. And, 
I, I think you're gonna have to make massive changes for next year. They really, really, really do. Yeah. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's gonna be a tough decision. And uh, you know, what are you gonna do with Glaber Torres? You know what I mean? He's not a shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're talking about putting Lemayo at third. But now, what are you gonna do with Gio Rochelle? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Is he your shortstop? You know? Who knows? Yeah, I know. It could be. Lots of question marks there. Ed. I, I'm with you. Lots of question marks if you're the Yankees right now. But, but. We have we will have months and months and months to talk about that. The Yankees are are in a postseason hunt. We'll focus on that. We'll focus on what what they're what they have available to them. They may have Luis Severino coming back as soon as. I mean, he told he told Meredith Morakovic he had he felt game ready. What did I put it at? Uh, uh, Sunday the twenty. If he's going to come back, I, I think I said Sunday the twenty sixth. Sunday night baseball versus the Red Sox. He'll make a comeback. It's not going to be for lengthy, but he can strengthen a bull, on a bullpen. Domingo Herman, he can come back and strengthen a bullpen. So there might be reinforcements on the way for the Yankees. Maybe, might be. But right now, they are a very inconsistent team. They went on a 13-game winning streak. They went on a seven, eight-game losing streak. Just hope that the pendulum swings um, in the right direction. Just hope. And hope that some of these hitters get hot all at the same time. Joey Gallo finally ignited. And like I said before, hope Gary Sanchez catches a ball behind the plate in a, in a, in a big spot. And I've said it, I've said it, I've said it since Corey Kluber's um, no-hitter. I went back and looked at the catchers that he had leading up to that no-hitter this season. Kyle Higashioka for the like the three, t- three games before that. What do you do? When the, your number one and your number two pitchers don't want to pitch to your your like I want to say quarterback one, but 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 your C one, your catcher one. What happens when your two aces, presumable aces, don't want to pitch to him? That's like carrying an extra body on a postseason roster that could be used on a reliever. So yeah, this Yankees team's got a lot of questions heading into the postseason. I mean the, the offseason, a lot of them. But for right now, they're focused on a, on a postseason run. And that's kind of where we'll stay with this. They still have a GM employed. They still have a, a, a manager employed. And until those are vacated, until those are vacate, vacant, that's when we'll talk about that and some p- potentialities there. But for right now, Yankees are looking for, the, I'm going to say, the second wild card spot. Coming up. Coming up also is my New York Jets prediction. Jets fans. And we'll obviously take more of your calls, 877-337-6666. Will the Jets pull it off against the Patriots? Last I looked, they are uh, six-point underdogs. Can they pull it off? Well, I'll fill you in. Coming up after the break. For you guys tonight, we've got Drake for you guys tonight, and we've got now this throwback from Jay Z. Manuel on the ones and twos, and Manuel Berbari on the ones and twos. Everybody, all right, it's time. Jets prediction time. And I see your calls. I'll get to you in one second here. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Jets predictions. The Jets are welcoming the dreaded New England Patriots and their rookie quarterback Mac Jones to MetLife Stadium one p.m. tomorrow. If you're going, I want to hear from you. 
I know it depends on where you look, but the Jets, last I checked, are six-point underdogs. Okay, so for me, it's the offensive line struggles for the Jets. It's disarray on that offensive line without Mekhi Becton. I think it's just going to be too much to overcome for these Jets. Uh, there is a real reason why rookie quarterbacks are 6-20 against Bill Belichick since the year 2000. The defensive scheme of the Patriots is just too complex. Now imagine you're Zach Wilson, right? Picture yourself under center. See the bars of the face mask, right? You're trying to figure all that out. The line of scrimmage, coverages, blitzers. Who's the Mike? Who's the Sam? Right? Trying to figure it all out. And in the back of your mind, you're also worried about your blind side because one of the best left tackles in the league who literally is, I looked it up, according to SeaWorld.org, the size of a baby elephant, that guy, Mekhi Becton, is going to miss significant time with a dislocated kneecap. So Wilson, this week, like last week, is going to find it real tough to stay upright. And when it's tough to stay upright, it's tough to score points. I'm taking the Patriots to beat the Jets tomorrow in week two, 21-10. And again, this is one of those things that I hope I'm wrong on. And I know that the Jets always play the Patriots tough, even in the Tom Brady heydays. So you never know. But my official pick is in. Patriots 21, Jets 10. I'll tweet that out in a second so I don't lose it, so you guys don't forget it. And me neither, really. So I'll tweet that out in one second. But to the phones we go. 877-337-6666 is the number. Mark in Yonkers, you're up next on The Fan. Hey, Danielle. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Doing a show. Good. I was uh, driving in my car, and I was listening to you uh, talk about the new battle cry of Somehow, Some Way. And yeah, it made me think of a, came up a with song. It. What is it? And I think um, a good theme song for that would be a, a song by 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Todd Rundgren. He did a song called Just One Victory. Ooh. And it has those words in it, except he has Somehow, Someday. Huh. So Wait, I I'm thought I would pass that along and see if you guys might give, give a listen to it. And yeah. uh, it, it might just fit what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm I, with you all the way. Right. I just pulled up with that tab. I won't play it, obviously, right now, but I will keep it in the in the queue of things that you guys send me and tell me throughout the show. But, yeah, I mean, I just kind of came up with it somehow, some way, and I don't know. Let's trademark it. Let's make some money off of it, huh? It's perfect. <laughs> and, Mark, the have t- a good night. Thanks, you too. And the T-shirts will, will be coming out in both Yankees colors and Mets colors. Pinstripes, and I guess the Mets kind of have pinstripes, too. They're wearing them tonight. The, the white jerseys with the blue pinstripes. I don't know. I'm just being facetious here. I'm sure somebody listening already trademarked it so that I can't do it. But somehow, someway, I think the Yankees are going to find their way into the postseason. Mets have a, a meeting at the mound between Carrasco, VR, Lindor, and McCann. There is a runner on first, top of the fifth, one out. The Mets are down still 2 nothing. Who's going to be the one to barrel up a pitch here in Queens. Who's he going to be? Well, we'll just have to keep watching. And figure, Wait to figure who, out, who that's going to be. But again, I'm going Patriots 21, New York Jets 10. Eli in Washingtonville, you're up next on the fan. Hey, Danielle, what's going on? Uh, listen, it's uh, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell the Yankee fans, but this is going to be a long, long, long next couple of years for the Yankees. Because to say the truth, I don't know what the owners of the Yankees see in Brian Cashman. This guy has spent their 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 money on like contracts that don't even make sense. Like the Brian Cashman, you see, um, Brian Cashman brings in um. You said that the Mets got the wrong um, Cub. Yes, they did. They got the wrong Marlins. Yeah, they got the, they got the wrong um, uh, guys from 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 the Marlins. They should have just went for the for that kid, uh, Yelich. But listen, contract after contract, he gave a contract to Severino. The Hick, the Hicks contract. Hicks? I'm with you on all of these. Every single one of them. Yes, I'm like scratching my head when they happened. Like, why is he doing this? Why are these long-term deals? And and not to mention, I don't like the long-term deal. This 10-year Lindor deal without him ever playing a game in the, Bron- in, the in the Queens, in New York? Forget about it. I don't think the guy has has it to, to, to succeed in New York at this moment in time. But these long-term contracts, I'm with you. They are, they are handcuffers. They are handcuffs for these teams moving forward, no matter what team it is. Yeah, then, yeah, then when it comes to the trades, fine. You know, the Rizzo trade was good, but... Then you bring in Gallo, he's heating up now, but this guy, Marche, was there for, for the taking. And he would have drastically improved your team when it came to, to hitting to all fields. Base running, all like, that. Yep. Yeah. So, listen, this guy, he, Brian Cashman always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Where you saw that with the Tampa Bay Rays game where he brought in Garcia for one inning. Oh, yeah. And then he, had, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and he's not. And his analytic team that he that he that the Yankees spend, I don't know how much they get paid, are not smart either. Yeah, they're looking the at the <laughs> they're looking at the yeah, wrong the numbers. Yeah, yeah, like the analytics comes up with, with with way better numbers with the with the Tampa Bay Rays, and they got a way less payroll. And every year they re, they retool their their line their their lineup, let go of guys, and every year they bring in are in the top of the division from. You know, in these last couple of years. Yeah, and you know what? When when they let go of Snell, too, everybody's like, oh, my God, they let Snell go. Did it really ultimately matter? (laughs) Listen, until they let let go of Brian Cashman and smarten up, the Yankees are going to be this way for since 2009. You talk about since 2009, the Yankees have have been fine. You have a, a good season when it comes to the regular season, besides this season. And then it's a crapshoot for the playoffs. I'm telling you, until yeah. they get rid of Brian Cashman, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, Eli, great observation there. And the irony of smarten up was not lost on me there, Eli. So Eli says that to smarten up, and yet the Yankees are employing a, a very substantial analytics department. It's just maybe they're, they're looking at the wrong numbers or something like that. It's just the, the philosophy I don't agree with, the philosophy of – being grateful for a four or five inning outing from a starting pitcher, I don't like it. I think starting pitchers should go at least six at the very minimum. You know, depending upon how the situation goes. Obviously, it's not like I'm like, hey, six six innings, that's the number. No, depends on how the game goes. But I I wouldn't call four or five innings a good outing. It's not a quality start, actually, by definition. I don't agree with that, and I feel that the Yankees are are okay with that, and I don't agree with all the home runs. Yes, Marte was going to help. We talked about Marte earlier. And yes, Joey Gallo's heating up now, but Joey Gallo, you knew what what you were going to get with him, a feast or famine hitter and an exceptional outfielder 
with an exceptional arm, like the fourth best arm of all the outfielders. And some of the things that Joey Gallo does don't show up on a box score. Fielding a ground ball and and the runners don't advance on him. Things like that. So Marte would have signaled a shift in, in mentality for the Yankees. Like the Velasquez's and like the Greg Allen's and like all those guys. Yeah, I'm with you. And that change needs to happen. But I don't know if Marte was the right guy because he's a right-handed batter. Remember, the Yankees were so right-handed. And that's another thing that doesn't show up on a box score. The lefty-righty balance now that this roster finally, this lineup finally has. And the Mets are showing notable upcoming free agents. Baez, Conforto, McNeil, Smith, and Syndergaard. We talked about Baez and Conforto. McNeil, I'd let him go. Dom Smith, I'd keep him around only because, well, I'd wait to see what this, the, the collective bargaining agreement says. If the DH will be accepted into the NL, I'm taking Dom Smith back. Syndergaard, who's going to pay top dollar for him? Depends on the dollar amount for him, but I would bring him back too, yes. Let's go Sparky in Dobbs Ferry. You're up next on the fan. Well, how you doing, Coach? Great. How are you, Sparky? Oh, good, good. Now... When you mention about the Yanks in the playoffs, I go with that somehow, some way they'll make it. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, being a total objective baseball fan, not just somebody who goes gog over the Yankees, which I do, I, they don't deserve to make the playoffs. Because you know what, Coach? You lose eight games to the Orioles, who are basically a minor league team. That is utterly embarrassing. Okay? It is. It is, yes. Okay, but the Orioles are—I get it—and the Orioles are the worst team in baseball. But the Orioles have also won a handful of games. I mean, I I understand what you're saying. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate because the Orioles are the worst team in league, and the Yankees needed to sweep that series, and they couldn't do it. Uh, I'm with you. Yes. Now, with this playoff scenario, let's say the Blue Jays make the playoffs. I'm going to tell you something—they might be the most dangerous team in the playoffs. There's a reason why, not even because you have all these young star players, but because of the pandemic, up till recently, for the last year and a half, they basically haven't played any home games, okay? Yeah. And now, when the playoffs come, they're going to not be affected by playing on the road. I, I, that's know, a good I, point. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Now, with the Jets, I Belichick is going to outsmart the heck out of them with his defensive schemes and his record in the past with rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. And especially coming off a loss. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but what, what worries me also about the Jets situation is Beckton. I think he's going to be out a lot longer than you would normally think. Because, I mean, he did have a, they did do a thing for a dislocated knee, an operation, right? Right, yes. Okay. And just the fact that the the large size of that man, I think he's going to have trouble coming back as quick as they're talking about. Yeah, I think so. I think they said four to eight weeks. I think that's extremely optimistic, Sparky. And, and when you look at, sorry to cut you off there, but, um, Eight weeks. I, they, when I kind of permutated it out, 
that would put it eight weeks would be putting it at week 10 uh, against the Bills. I think the Jets would be lucky to get him back. A dislocated kneecap? A dislocated kneecap? And you want him back by November 10th? I would be shocked. A guy of that size? I'd be shocked. I really would. All right, we've got... um, Trying to, I'm texting with Paul Dettino now, seeing if he wants to do 9 or 9.20. So, surprise for the audience. We'll figure it out, uh, and we'll come back your way. 877-337-6666 in the meantime. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan till 10 p.m. to the final hour of Danielle After Dark here on The Fan in New York City. At the final hour, I'm, up, I'm with you till 10 p.m. until Chris McMonagle comes your way. C-Mac, he'll be on the airwaves at 10 p.m. And uh, what a loss for the Yankees today. It's just, it's like I played at Luke Bryan's roller coaster for you guys uh, in, in the open. And man, like an old <laughs> Old Beach roller coaster, this New York Yankees team. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. They're up and they're down. It's like Katy Perry. Listen, we talked about this roller coaster since February. You knew what to expect from this Yankees team. You knew it. By the way, we have Paul Dottino coming your way at 9.20. Giants fans, that is a must listen. So 9.20 p.m., Paul Dottino will be coming your way on these airwaves. And, you know, the Yankees entered Saturday having won five of their last seven games. The Indians entered Saturday having lost eight of their last 11. And the Indians, even with this victory, are still two games under 500. And they defeated a Yankees team by a touchdown and a two-point conversion, 11-3. to It was just a real sleepy game for the Yankees. Not much offensive action from the team at all whatsoever. I mean, of course, you can point to the Giancarlo Stanton and the Luke Voigt home runs. Yeah, cool. But the game was completely over by then. One of the callers before said he was there, and all all the people, about a third of the fans, he said, left by that point. They were gone. They were on their way home by then. Now, I wouldn't do that based on the principle that it cost you $45 to park. I'm paying $45 to park at Yankee Stadium. I'm staying there as long as possible. They don't give out half-price parking tickets. $45 is so ridiculous, isn't it? But anyway, I, today it was like the pitching completely failed the Yankees. And you need to look no farther than the fifth inning to see it. I mean, it's been said in every update so far. Erica's and, and, and Mike McCann's, it's just... <sighs> Gary Sanchez couldn't make a play... On a pop-up. The ball was literally popped up straight in the air. The batter was headed on his way back to the dugout, bat in hand. And you got Gary Sanchez. The title of his position is catcher. And yet, here we are. Everything is an adventure with El Gary behind the plate. Everything. If I'm a pitcher, I would not want to bounce a ball in the dirt in front of Gary Sanchez, especially with runners at the plate. I wouldn't want to do it because I have no faith on him that he's going to be able to, A, catch it, or B, get in front of it to block it. The knee down, I can't stand it. I'm watching James McCann do it right now. I, I don't like it. You have literally zero lateral movement. 
I umpired. I had an umpire call in before who said that when 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 uh, when batters did that or when catchers did that, he didn't like it, and I didn't like it. I didn't like to be showed up. I wouldn't give any leeway on those pitches at all, whatsoever. And then the fifth inning was just an absolute implosion. Gil, Gil, heel. Sorry about that. Heel. That guy Mercado, who who Gary Sanchez didn't catch the ball for, he'll then plunked him. He'll then walked Jose Ramirez, and then Abreu comes in to save the day. Not, not that Mercado. He ended up scoring on a double from Reyes. Those guys always score. We talk about it every week. Abreu then plunked Harold Ramirez to load the bases with one out. And then the Indians were just off to the races. I mean, Chang hit a two-run double to make it 4 nothing. Miller grounded up the middle, and it has a seeing-eye single to make it 5 nothing. Cleveland. And I wrote in my notes, UGLY, with capital letters, UGLY. Let's see how, if this team has the resiliency to come back from this deficit to a less than 500 team. Well, my thought was short-lived. The number nine hitter in the order for the Indians and the number nine hitter in the inning for the Indians, Jimenez, with runners on first and third, Jacked a home run 384 feet over Judge's head in right field. 8 nothing Cleveland. And the next note to myself was, boom, game over here. Done, probably. That was it. And that was it. Done deal. Game over in the fifth inning. Half a game. And I was looking at um, two things in this game. Luis Heal, he said he wants to be, you know, he says he's just trying to win every game he pitches and hopefully he makes a playoff roster. Well, that's kind of what I was looking at. But his final stat line was four and a third innings pitched. That's not what you're looking for from a potential postseason starter. Four walks, including one hit by pitch. Not what you're looking for for a potential postseason starter. And he gave up three runs, two of which were earned, which is okay, which is good, kind of good. But with this offense that can sputter at times, like today, that is not what you want to see from a potential postseason starter. It's just not. And the other thing I was looking for was Joey Gallo and his, the surge that this guy's riding. Finally, it happened. And then he left the game in the fifth inning with a next neck tightness. And Aaron Boone basically said after the game, and I'm paraphrasing here, that it's not really a big deal. They'll see, And this is a quote, we'll see where we're at for tomorrow. Okay. He to also told Meredith that he's not going for any more tests. Just kind of like, maybe he slept wrong. Who knows? I don't know. But if you noticed... Joey Gallo has been a completely different hitter, different player when he's down in the order. Is that a surprise to you? Well, if you tuned into my show, you should not be surprised. On the Yes Network broadcast, Michael K confirmed what I've been saying for how long now, you guys? K said that he talked to people in Texas, and Gallo, and this is a quote from Michael K, just doesn't like hitting towards the top of the order. Well, well, well. Doesn't that sound familiar, everybody? On September 8th, which is 10 days ago, I quote tweeted the Yankees lineup and I wrote, Gallo 6th, where I said on my show that I wanted him this weekend, Menomale. And Menomale in Italian kind of means like, thank you, finally. And if you don't believe me, you can go, go ahead and look it up, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. So in that stretch between September 8th, which was my quote tweet, and yesterday when it was confirmed that that's the reason why he's 
part of the reason why he's been producing better. I didn't count today's game. He left early, the whole thing, right? Gallo, in that stretch between September 8th and September 17th, he's hitting 333 with a slugging percentage of 1,000 with six home runs and seven RBIs. Coincidence? I think not. And Gallo said Friday night that he did a, a deep dive into video study of his at-bats. And he realized, and this is a quote from him, he said he was kind of flailing a little bit. I didn't have much strength, and I wasn't in my legs as much. Being a big guy, you can create a, a lot of power and torque from being in my legs. I knew at some point, I knew I'd get going, but a credit to our hitting coaches, they helped me out a lot. So those are the two things I was, I was looking for today. Um, as far as, you know, Gallo... That was kind of like a wash. He left in halfway through the game, <laughs> like the fans, a lot of the fans. And on to objective two, Luis Heal. I mean, I feel like it wasn't met, but, you know, I'm not ready to make a declaration of, of a Luis Heal in a postseason position just yet. I mean, of course, if the Yankees get there. Because um, right now, if the season ended today, the Yankees would not be there, just like the Mets. Neither of our two New York teams would be in the postseason if it ended today, right now. And that makes for a long offseason here in New York. So I hope that one or both of these teams make it to the postseason because this is going to get redundant here after a while. But I think we can all agree that Abreu and Heaney were just the real dumpster fires today. But is anyone else surprised? No, I don't think so. No one's surprised. And the Mets, let's see. Let's do a quick check-in here, and then we'll get to your calls. 877-337-6666. Um, the quick check-in of the Mets game is that is the top of the sixth inning. Bryce Harper's on first base. It is uh, the, the Phillies are leading the Mets 2 nothing, Two outs. The 0-2 pitch from Carrasco is grounded to Pete Alonso at first base. He'll step on the first base. I'm not doing play-by-play. I'm just giving an update. And the inning is over. So to the bottom of the sixth, the Mets go. VR leads off. Nimmo and Lindor, they are all overs. The three of them combined are over six tonight. Let's see if they get a little magic happening. And uh, let's see. Baez, he's been hitting better. He really has. Since September 8th, his chase rate has gone down around 15%, and his OPS has almost doubled as a result of that. And he got, he came through last night in a great opportunity. He singled Brandon Nimmo home and tied the game at 1-1. One one. And unfortunately... The Mets had the bases loaded shortly thereafter. Three batters were unable to come through for the Mets. McNeil, uh, McCann, I can't find the third one, but they couldn't get it done. And that's been the story of the Mets. But call him Captain Optimism. Brandon Nimmo said, we are not mathematically out. Crazy things have happened in the past, and they've made movies about it. It can happen. Well, it's not looking good tonight. Mets are down 2 nothing, but hey, anything can happen. Let's go to the phones. 877-337-6666. Paul in Floral Park. You're up on the fan. Hi, 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 hi Paul. How, How are, are you? you? All right. Good. Good. Uh, good to be back on the phone uh, with you. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to call. Yankee. Yeah, Yankees. Oh my God! <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not jumping ship yet. You know that. 
Yes. You know that, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, we we stick through well, thick and thin, Oceanic bands, or jet bands. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, of course, of course. Uh, the Giants, uh, what an embarrassment that is. Yeah. Humiliating. So yeah. far through the first two, two, two games. Yeah. My father's doing three sixties in his grave. Oh, gonna, no. Yeah. Rest in peace, your dad. <laughs> he's biting me. Yeah, yeah. He's biting me on the shoulder from the high heavens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God. Yeah. I'm glad that, uh, Zadina Rochara is coming back to the Islanders. That's good. He's a really good dude security blanket. Yeah, good. Big one, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, thank you, bro. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> all right, Paul. All right. Appreciate the call. Uh, always fun. Paul Paul is always a fun call. And you know, Emmanuel, you know who we have not heard from in a while? Vernon. Hope he's all right. Every once in a while, Vernon kind of disappears, and I'll email him, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, no, there's just a new series on TV came out. I'm sorry, I lost track of time. Something like that. I haven't screened a call from Vernon in quite some time. Uh-oh. Now I'm worried. All right. When I go home, I'll send an email. I'll, I'll send an all-points bulletin out for Vernon from Manhattan. Well, the fact he's responding to your emails is a very good sign, though. Well, I, he has, I haven't heard. We haven't made contact in a while, so I will send an email when I go home. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Just Check keep, in. Keep an eye out for, for him. And, and wouldn't you know it, you guys, I just opened up Twitter. You want to tweet me? It's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I do read the good ones on air. Um, trending still. With 74.1 thousand tweets, Gary Sanchez. Still trending in, in the entire country right now is Gary Sanchez. Like a, among all the topics, not just MLB, the whole, everything, all of it. These and, and if you go to the responses, I mean, they're hilarious. I mean, they are like people screenshotting their TVs on all the mistakes that Gary Sanchez has made. And, and take your pick. I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, someone says, uh, we can't look for a good Gary Sanchez replacement, but we can recreate a much better option to pair up with Higgy. And that's the thing that, I, that someone asked me earlier and I forget who hours earlier. Um, why can't like, um, like, you know how Aaron Boone puts in defensive, uh, reinforcements in the late innings. Why can't they put Higashioka in for Sanchez in those, in those same situations? Well, if Higashioka gets hurt, God forbid, knocking on these what are these uh, quartz or fiberglass counters here, <laughs> whatever they are, it's not wood. But if Higashioka were to go down, who's your catcher? You know who the third string catcher is? The emergency backup catcher is? You know who it is? No, it's not me. I know I caught Evan in the softball game. No, not me. Rugnet Odor. Do you really want Rugnet Odor behind the plate? I mean... Maybe he could be better than Gary Sanchez. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. But that's what I'm saying. So that's why you can't substitute in Higashioka in case. Just in case. Gary Sanchez has got to figure it out. And I'm not hopeful that he will. We have Paul Dettino. The Paul Dettino. Coming up next on The Fan to talk some New York Giants football. The fan is on your smart speaker. Hey, Alexa. Okay, Google. Hey, Siri. To listen to the home of New York sports, just say, play WFAN. Welcome back to Danielle After Dark. We have shifted. The sun has set on Gotham City, New York City. 
I'm with you till 10 p.m. when C-Mac, Chris McMonaco, comes your way. But right now, coming your way, we're talking with Paul Dettino. He's a host and reporter for MSG, WFAN, and Giants.com. Paul Dettino has been on the New York Giants beat since 1983. So he is who I wanted to talk to uh, after the Giants have lost their first two games this season. Paul, welcome to the show. Good evening, Danielle. Good to talk to you. I guess all that really means is that I'm really old, right? <laughs> no, it means you're, you are very wise about what's going on with this Giants team, and you've seen it all. I have seen it all. Uh, the ups, the downs, the those seasons in between, and right now they've got themselves a little bit of an issue trying to dig out of this 0-2. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Eli Manning Day coming up a week from tomorrow when Atlanta comes to town, and you'd have to believe that's a really good chance for them to get things right. You'd hope. So I know we're going to go down that path, but I want to talk about the positives. So, so to start off with, at least, I, I know it was a brutal loss the other night. What is one unit, one unit that looked better from week one to week two? Daniel oh, no. Jones, well, Daniel Jones at quarterback, okay. obviously. And I also think the receiving core looked better. Uh, they had more opportunities. And, you know, despite a couple of drops, a touchdown pass by Slayton on a bomb, on a post, that anybody in this league has to grab. Uh, Outside of that, and there were a couple by Galladay, I thought he probably should have held down to, too. Uh, I do think that, for the most part, the receivers picked up their game. And I also think that Barkley picked up his game uh, a little bit as well. Obviously, the one burst was really nice to see. But uh, the rest of it? Uh, I don't know that I saw a lot of improvement from week one to week two. Mm. All right. So despite the loss two, uh, if you had to, the Paul Dettino Giants player of the game in Washington was? Got to be Daniel Jones, doesn't it? I don't know. I was thinking you were going to say Graham Gano, honestly. Well, I mean, he did kick five field goals, including a 55-yarder. There's nothing wrong with that, but... Daniel Jones played one hell of a game. And it's a shame because there are still a bunch of people out there who somehow think one loss records of quarterbacks mean something. Mm-hmm. You and I know it means absolutely nothing. Yeah. And this was a prime example of it. Daniel Jones gets tagged with a loss on that stupid statistic that so many like to quote when, in fact, he played a terrific game and had nothing to do with the loss. Mm. All right. We're talking to Paul Dettino here on the fan. Do you want to play a little overreaction or not an overreaction with me? <laughs> There's always an overreaction to everything when your team goes 0-2. All right. Go right ahead. All right. I'm going to give you four statements about the Giants. You tell me if it's an overreaction or not. So, number one, the Giants are, are regretting the Kadarius Tony pick. Overreaction. Hmm. So... I don't know, though, Paul, because did you see the tweets? Did you see the Instagram? Did you did you see what's going on? I mean, there's yes. always seems to be an excuse with him. Always. Well, he's also brand new to the team. He's, he's, uh, he, look, I'm, I don't want to be insulting to anybody, especially since as media, we've had very limited contact. Right. It's not like I've gotten to know this guy on a personal basis. It's been just media opportunities. You know, before the pandemic, Danielle, let's turn the clock back a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I could really get to know these guys off the field. Can't do that these days because of the protocols. But I can tell you this. 
he's a very immature young man right yes. now. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. You know, fresh out of school, where he was a star at Florida, where he no doubt was pampered and treated extremely well. Now he comes to the NFL. He's the fourth receiver on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. Instead of being the number one or number two guy, he's in the big city. He's not getting to play a lot. He dealt with COVID, dealt with a hammy. And obviously, he's a young, immature, frustrated athlete. I, I'm not sure what people really expected out of the box. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, for me, I know I expect from, from a first-round draft pick, I would expect, you know, no excuses of, oh, my cleat doesn't fit, or, oh, my grandma passed away. Maybe she did, or or maybe, you know, it's just, for me, it seems like it's excuse after excuse with this guy. Just get on the field and show everybody what you were capable of and what you did in Florida. Well, I think the hard part about it, he had the COVID, had lingering effects for the COVID that, that you know, hurt his conditioning and his bronchial system. Sure. So he was forced to miss a, quite a chunk of training camp. There was the thing with the cleat issue, which, you know, obviously that didn't go very well. But I think there's a lot of, at play there that uh, business-wise that I'm not going to get into. But let's just say that there was some, some business aspects to it, and it was a bit confusing. And, and really, I think his agent should have been a little bit more on top of that situation. And let me just leave that one right there. Sure. Uh, and then he had obviously a little bit of a sore hamstring. So you put it all together. The guys practice for what a week and a half. Right. And even the coaches said, he's going to be very limited right now. Right. So, you know, but this is a young kid who immediately wants to get out there, compete and produce. And he's frustrated and he's immature. I, I don't think any of his reactions to this point are totally, uh, unexpected, He's a, he's a young, immature kid. Uh, sometimes we all got to just sit back, take a breath, and relax. I did notice that he has, to the best of my knowledge, I'm looking at it right now, deleted his Instagram account. So that is a, a, a plus, I think. Absolutely it is. Yes. Now, how can... And by, and by the way, Danielle, yeah. you and I both, both know that, you know, the print media in this town, uh, let's just say the standards were a lot higher years ago. Shots fired there. Uh, you know what, though, Paul, I, I wanted to ask you. Now, how can the Giants coaching staff, whoever, kind of turn him around to be a productive member of this team in, in a role-type situation? Well, it's really simple for me. Uh, I would like to see him return kicks because, you know, that doesn't require a whole lot of pages in the playbook to do. Right Now, they like... Jabril Peppers back there right now, and I understand that. That's something that, you know, he's done since his days at Michigan and was very productive at doing. So I know that that's what they're, they're looking at at the moment. But I do think as they wean Tony into the lineup, number one would be the kick return game. Number two, when they go to the four wide spreads, he's the fourth receiver. I mean, to be frank, to pull off Galladay or Shepard, or Slayton, one of your top three guys, to get Tony on the field in a three-wide set is counterproductive, don't you think? Yes, totally agree with you. Yeah, we've, we've got Paul Dottino, New York Giants host reporter for MSG, WFAN, and Giants.com on the line. Okay, uh, overreaction or not an overreaction, Saquon Barkley with his 17 career touchdowns and a 4.7 yards per attempt for his career is not playing up to his number two overall selection billing. Well, see, that's a tricky question because I would say right now 
that's a legit reaction. Mm -hmm. The problem is it also comes with an asterisk because of the injury situation. Right. If he was 100% healthy and after two and a half seasons had – or three seasons, uh, you know, three-plus seasons now, had those numbers 100% healthy, I would say, wow, that's a real problem because he's not living up to his potential. But given the injury situation, uh, I think it's it's very reasonable and understandable – why he would have what he's got right now. Yeah, because I looked at what he's got so far this season. He's the R- running back one, RB1, and he's got 83 yards on the ground, 96 in total, including his catching you know, yards. But how much of that slow start would you attribute to him, and how much of it would you attribute to the offensive lines, you know, whatever? I think, I think well, first, the offensive line has not blocked well for the run during the first two games. I don't think anybody would dispute that at all. That's clear. They need to run block better. Mm-hmm. So I will stick 40% of it on them, and I will stick 60% of it on Barkley being rusty. Uh, and quite honestly, we should all applaud him after having surgery, major surgery, ACL and MCL last October, to actually be able to suit up and play opening day. Mm-hmm. We all know back in 2012 that Jamal Charles and Adrian Peterson had similar deals. And they came back and they played opening day. In each of the first two games of their seasons in 2012, they did not touch the ball 20 times. Right. Neither has Barkley. And anybody who's listened to me now for the last couple of months knows I warned you all of that. Right. That it was going to take him probably two or three games. He would be limited and would not touch the ball 20 times. Well, he touched it 15, I guess, this past week after 11 in the first game. Uh, But I will also tell you that if history is any indicator, both Peterson and Charles in their third game back did eclipse 20 touches. So perhaps Barkley will be on track to get back to being himself against Atlanta. Then again, maybe not. Everybody's individual, but if you go by history – he should start truly becoming more of himself and ramping up against the Falcons. We've got Paul Dottino on the line. Okay, overreaction or not an overreaction, the starters, I'm talking Peppers, Galladay, expressing their frustrations with their roles is a sign of bigger issues on this team. No, I think it's simply, a, I think that's an overreaction because I think what you see is a team, and, and, and here's really, if you want to get down to the crux of it, I think you're going to find a lot of coaches, including Joe Judge, will go into next summer and realize that they made a mistake by significantly limiting their starters' minutes and snaps during the preseason. Yes, thank you. Yes, I totally agree. The CBA is a joke. Let's not kid ourselves. They're playing papier-mâché flag football out there during the course of the preseason. Training camp is so watered down, it's it's worse than Kool-Aid filled up with 20 ice cubes. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, and that hurts the quality of the game, especially in September. Right. Then they take away a preseason game this year. You know, now Joe Judge tried to reason this thing out, and he said, well, we're going to have these practices with New England and Cleveland, and that will take the place of that fourth preseason game, and my regulars are going to get their snaps in these practices, and that will work out. Well, I think we're seeing that did not work out very well. Yeah. The, the, these gears need oil. 
And I think right now there are probably 16 teams in the National Football League, okay, all of who do not have a victory, all of who probably feel right now they had put some WD-40 on their players sometime a couple of weeks ago because they did not use them enough during the course of the summer. Totally agree. Okay, fourth and final one. Overreaction or not an overreaction? Okay, this is a little bit long, but the the statement is Jason Garrett is not scheming to fit his offensive pieces' strengths. And, and why I say that is, I looked. Daniel Jones attempted only two deep passes in week two and one in week one. To me, he and, and he's got the best uh, rating on passes over 20 yards in the league last season. So why right. aren't they scheming for, for that in this offense? Well, again, I, I hate to go back to what I just told you. I believe that Garrett was been apprehensive. I think he was in week one, very apprehensive to open things up not knowing exactly what Barkley could give them, not knowing how much Galladay's hamstring could be a lingering issue, even though he played 85% of the snaps, Uh, not knowing what their newly configured offensive line was going to do. Uh, I think these are all reasons that Jason Garrett probably closed a lot of his playbook against the Broncos. We saw him start to open it up this past week against Washington. So, okay, I'm going to say to you that there's some truth to the sentiment that they probably and should have been much more diverse and much more explosive since day one. Right. But given the reasons that we just talked about, uh, I can absolutely understand the apprehension and why it's taken him a couple of weeks to start opening things up. Again, nothing is in a bubble, Danielle. This is the problem I have all the time with, with people who don't understand all the, the layers to the onion. And, and that is, simply put, nothing in the National Football League happens in a bubble. Everything's attached. There are multiple layers to the onion. There is a spider web right. that involves so many different things that you can't isolate just one particular thing and say, that's where I'm pointing my finger, and that's not working right. Chances are there are five or six reasons behind it as to why it's not happening. And, and, and you know, that's really the crux of this. You know, as you were talking, I wrote down, I was typing, I don't know if you heard me, but I, I wrote down, I would like to compare average time to, to release the ball of Daniel Jones versus the average time for his wide receivers to get down the field because I'm, I'm also thinking that the, the offensive line's poor play, it, it, the pocket isn't there for him to throw the ball down the field. Well, you know, the offensive line's actually pass block better in the first two weeks mm-hmm. than I think most people expected, especially with the substitutions that they've had to use. But the run blocking has just been quite honestly on the way down it's it's not nearly good enough yeah and that's just the facts right now it is just not good enough having said that though remember they they made the tra- the the deal uh Bredesen was was taking his first game snaps with this line right in the game against denver then they lose gates mm-hmm. after you know making the change uh, right before the Washington game, okay, with no practices. They had two two walkthrough practices, not any real practices. We're talking walkthrough practices, yeah. Yeah. and they make the switch. And Price is the new center. Gates now goes back to being a guard, and then he gets hurt. 
So, again, I can understand some of the apprehension, not knowing exactly what you're going to get from the guys up front. We're talking about Paul Dottino on the Giants beat since 1983, joins us on the fan. Um, the final two, how significant, Paul, in, in the grand scheme of things, is this one-point loss and this offsides call on Dexter Lawrence? Uh, Two-point question. Well, the, the, the loss is significant because if you believe, as I do on paper, going in on paper, the Giants are a 10-7 and 17 that should win the division and goes 4-2 in the division. Mm -hmm. uh, that is now suddenly in jeopardy because you've already got that one loss to a Washington team, which I figured would probably win eight or nine games and try to chase the Giants down for first place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this, this, this loss is a big deal. The good news is uh, it doesn't look like anybody in the division, because I think Philadelphia, you know, just crushing a horrible Atlanta team yeah. was probably the high point of their season. Danielle, mark my words now. That Falcons-Eagles game last week will make up 85% of the NFL film's highlight film for the Eagles at the end of the year. Okay? Yeah, yeah. That was their high-water mark. Yeah. That is a bad football team, and they are destined to finish last. So I'm not worried about that victory, but it looks like Dallas, which has lost a few players this week for a variety of reasons, they're going to struggle. Washington just proved to me on Thursday that they'll be in the race with the Giants, but I don't necessarily think they're world beaters either. So this division is probably going to come down to another situation where they will all struggle to the finish line and nobody is going to pull away. <laughs> uh, so let, let me just say that first off. So yeah, yeah but so it's a significant loss. It is. Uh, the second part of your question was the uh, how significant again? Because I, I now I feel like anytime we talk about this game, everybody's going to talk about oh that Dexter Lawrence offsides call. I didn't think it was offsides to be honest with you. you no, know, I, I didn't either. And here here's the problem with that call. Look, the naked eye can only see so well. If you've literally got to get that video down to step motion, mm -hmm. okay, to figure out that Dexter Lawrence was .02 seconds offside, okay, let's just say for argument's sake that he really was an onion skin offside. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that for argument's sake. Mm -hmm. The naked eye really can't tell that. And any official who's going to call that play with that type of, of, of time left in a game, you know it's a game-deciding play. You know it's the last play. Let me ask you this. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a question, Danielle. Mm -hmm. On the last play of the game, how much holding and how much pass interference do you think goes on on a Hail Mary at the end of a game? A ton. Everybody. How many times do you see a penalty flag thrown on the last play of the None. game? None. None. Okay. That's because officials are told to use their judgment in the spirit of a rule. Mm -hmm. And and they know that on the last play of the game, boy, you you kind of have to eat your flag or your whistle right. unless there's something so egregious that really had such a dramatic impact on the play. So let's just say for argument's sake physically that Dexter Lawrence wasn't an onion skin offsides. Well, to me, the referees got to get together and they got to have a little conference. And I got to talk to the guy who threw that flag as the chief referee. And I got to say, look, man, are you sure that was you saw that? 
Are you 100,000% sure that he really jumped? Yeah. And and I'd like to believe that him as a reasonable human being would say, you know what, I'm not a robot. I don't have frame-by-frame abilities within my retina to actually diagnose that fraction of a second. So, no, Chief, I can't tell you it was really that egregious. Pick up the flag. Paul Dettino, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Awesome stuff. I got a couple of Giants calls already on hold. You've ignited some conversation among us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Paul. All right, Daniel. Be well. Or should I say grazie mille? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. And uh, we will take more of your calls coming up right after this. I'm, I'm here till 10 p.m. when C-Mac, Chris McMonagle will come your way then. Closing minutes of now Danielle in the dark here on The Fan in New York City. Chris Chris McMonagle is up next at 10 p.m. He is in the building looking at him through the glass. We're having a little slight problem here. The phones look like they have gone out, but we'll try. We we will try. Before we do that, I wanted to tell you, remind you, that the New York Giants are 0-2 for the fifth straight year, 0-2 for the eighth time in nine years, 4-18 Four and eighteen in weeks one and two since twenty eleven, and we could talk more about it next week. But week three is as must win as it gets for the New York Giants. As crazy as that sounds, there was a scoring update in the Mets game um, while Paul Dettino was on the phone. The score is now three to one. Three to one. Brandon Nimmo tripled. Lindor uh, grounded out, and Nimmo scored on basically, I guess, defensive indifference. I wasn't watching it on TV. I'm just looking at the box score. Okay, so we're going to try these two calls. We've got two right here. Um, let's try Bruce in Brooklyn. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going. No, sorry, Bruce. Sorry, Dan. The phones are actually down. How- I see you, Bruce in Brooklyn and Dan in Monmouth County. I got you both. But when I click on you, nothing happens. So C-Max on the phone, trying to figure it out. Gesturing to Emmanuel. Couple, a lot of things are going on behind the scenes right now. But let's just keep our eyes glued on the Met game here. So we've got Trevor May in. Top of the seventh. Runners on first and second. A full count with one out. Now let's go back to how the Mets scored. Let me figure this out. So we've got uh, bottom of the sixth. VR grounded out. Brandon Immel tripled on a line drive to center fielder. Francisco Lindor grounds out to second baseman. So, okay, so it was a... a Second baseman, Gene Segura, threw him out at first. Brandon Nimmo scored. Yeah, there was no play on Nimmo. Okay. And then that followed up by Pete Alonzo walk. There was a pitching change. And Conforto struck out on three straight strikes, it looks like. Called strike, swinging, swinging. Okay. And here we are. Now we are top of the seventh. Runners on second and third, uh, first and second. Still a full count. On Segura, who has killed the Mets tonight. Segura has two home runs, and I believe the only two RBIs. You know, I, I've got one eye on this game the entire night. The other eye was on my computer, but I believe he's got on those two home runs. He's got the only RBIs, I believe, on the team for the Phillies. Oh no, I'm looking now. Both of those home runs for Segura were solo shots, and then Freddie Galvis doubled home Brad Miller in the seventh, top of the seventh. Okay, so that's the one I missed. Okay, pop out to center field, to right field. Okay, I'm not doing play-by-play. You're not allowed to do play-by-play. You guys know that. All right, so 
Um, if you guys missed it, my prediction for the Jets-Patriots game coming up. Jets, well, no, let's start with this. I said Patriots 21. What do I have the Jets at? 10, I believe. 21-10. Yes. I hope I'm wrong. Patriots 21, Jets 10. All right, you guys. Thanks to all the callers. Sorry for Bruce and Dan. Sorry I couldn't get you on there. The phone's totally crapped out on us. But I could have not done this without you guys. I love coming here talking with you all. And if you missed any portion of today's show, you guys can hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start of the show, which was 6 p.m. And also to Giants fans, the Paul Dottino joined us live at 9.20 p.m. So I highly suggest you rewind back to that, too. Great stuff from him. And a great job to Emmanuel working hard behind the glass tonight. And to Erica Herskowitz and to Mike McCann on the updates. I will back, be back with you guys Saturday at 1 p.m. You mark that down. I'm about to hand it off to C-Mac. Chris McMonagle up next with you guys. In the meantime, you guys can hit my socials at Coach McCartan and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. We'll keep the conversation going until next week. Sports Radio 101.9.